Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of the About to Interview podcast. I'm your host, as always, that guy named John. About to Interview focuses on the conversations I have with writers, actors, directors, artists, and other creatives, and it is a supplemental version of my weekly film review podcast, About to Review, which has a goal of amplifying diverse voices in media. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review on your podcast platform of choice. It is listed on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Alexa via TuneIn, and you can also stream the episodes directly from the website abouttreview.com, which has full links to the show notes and guests. There's also a support tab on the website with a direct PayPal link or a link to an Amazon wish list if you want to pick up something to help out the studio. That would be fantastic. Follow on social media at abouttreview.com on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as youtube.com slash abouttreeview. The interviews you are about to hear on this episode are from the 9th Annual Vancouver Short Film Festival, which happened January 25th and January 26th this past weekend at the VIF Van City Theater in beautiful Vancouver, British Columbia. It was a blast. This was my third year covering the event. So before we get into the show, here's the original theme song created by Damien Randall of Ill-Mannered Media. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Right at the top of the show, I have to shout out the sponsor for this episode, which is Little Z Productions. Little Z Productions is a Vancouver-based production company specializing in short-form digital content. They are film lovers that love making films and aim to tell stories that are authentic, funny, and honest. So thank you so much for your support, Little Z Productions, for sponsoring uh, this episode and my trip up to the Vancouver Short Film Festival. So like I said, this is my third year covering this event. It is always madness for two days with just packed short films, amazing content, and amazing conversations that I got to have with the creators of some of the works. So between each interview, you're going to hear this sound. Yeah! All of the interviews will be time-coded below with the name and project that they are involved in. So without further ado, Thank you again to all of my guests who found time during this busy weekend to sit down with me, and I hope you enjoyed the interviews that I conducted during the Vancouver Short Film Festival this past weekend. Yeah! Writer, director Melanie Jones, and actress Rona Rees, uh, and I even put it with the Z at the yeah. end, Rona Rees, welcome to the show. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks for having us. Yeah. No problem. So your film was Shuttlecock, or is Shuttlecock. Mm-hmm. Uh, about a champion bad is badminton ter, badminton a word badminton player like what? Yeah, <laughs> we'd say badminton player. I yeah. think. Badminton player. I think yeah. the key about her is though is that she's washed up. Yes. I think I when you say the word champion, you picture <laughs> someone who's physically fit. They're like a role model. She's a champion, but only in her own mind. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, definitely. She's a winner <laughs> to herself. 
and not anyone else. No. Fair. As she, in the film, though, is trying to redeem herself from this uh, fateful incident that, that happened in her, in her youth against her rival. So this film, uh, first of all, hilarious. So Thank congratulations you. with that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Where did this idea come from for this redemption badminton story? Um, so uh, there was sort of two initial sparks for the story. One uh, was that I found the word shuttlecock. Mm-hmm. I just saw it somewhere and I thought, oh, that's a great word. That would be a great <laughs> title right. for a badminton movie. I mean, like, what else could you do with shuttlecock as the title? You, like, it has to be about badminton. Um, and to me, it was obvious that it was a comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always l- I'm looking to write... Um, very, I'm always looking to write very irreverent and kind of unorthodox female characters. And so I had been wanting to write a story with an actor in mind prior to thinking of this, this particular story. But when I had this idea about Shuttlecock, I thought I went to Rona and I said, okay, it's called Shuttlecock and it's about an irreverent female badminton player. (laughs) What do you think? How quickly did you say yes to that? I mean, when as an actor, when any any director that you respect comes to you and says they want to make something with you in mind, it's a beautiful moment because we're so used to having to audition, 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 rejection, rejection, rejection. So the idea of not only not having to audition, but getting to be part of the collaborative process is a gift. And getting to do a comedy, I love comedy. Comedy is very dear to my heart. Um, yeah, I was so in from... The moment she said, shuttlecock, really. <laughs> and she ha- you also had in mind uh, the poster image to begin with as well. Yeah, I mean, I knew that I wanted to play with the, um, with like a sexual kind of undertone mm-hmm. to the film. So, uh, you know, I said to, I said to uh, Rona, you know, this is a character that would like do anything to win, including perform sexual favors mm-hmm. to win and she doesn't think there's anything wrong with that like that's just part of who she is that she's championship mindset yeah, yeah. <laughs> like anything to win you know and and so i knew that the the poster needed to be kind of indicative of that willingness to kind of put yourself out and and put your body out there and, mm-hmm. and we had some fun with it because originally you had the leg poster in mind this kind of view from behind with the legs open like and through the legs and then you know badminton. kind of going ah, in there okay um but then actually by the time we had made the film uh that poster didn't really feel like it represented uh winnie as the lead character we couldn't see her face it felt really passive and we kind of delved into this <laughs> strange <laughs> world of all these movie poster genres and it turns out that uh the intermemory cleft is that the correct? It, yes, yeah. it is a it is a subcategory of film poster. Wait, what? Yeah. So you can search the intermemory cleft film poster, and you okay. will see only film posters that have cleavage in them. But it's all these different sort of uh, approaches to that. What you know, how that is treated, and you know, in some of them, there's something in you know stuffed in there, or mm-hmm. there's you know there's words in there, or you know some uh, different emphasis is placed in, in different posters. But for us, we knew that. It was, you know, the shuttlecock was going to be front and center, but surrounded, you know, by this sort of like very, very womanly body, <laughs> right. very sexy body, um, which I think to me was like really interesting to put in the sports kind of context with like a sports, a female, a woman in sport. Mm-hmm. 
who's not not sexual, who's not afraid of being sexual, right? And and not afraid of kind of wielding that for for power and 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 uh, success in her sport. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's, throughout the film we we play a lot with the absurdity of not only badminton but sometimes the way we treat sports in society as well. Absolutely, yeah. and uh, I think. Originally, I believe I maybe said our little tagline to you as a joke that it's called Badminton, not Goodminton. Love that and line. And <laughs> we just ended up running with it because yeah. it's so silly, but it's not that far from what you can imagine in a world where badminton was, uh, you know, uh, received in the same light as, you know, football or something. Hobby mm-hmm. or football. Yeah. yeah. Like there's cereal, there's. You know, um, mascots. There's plushies. There's mm-hmm. toy. You know, there's there's deals for you to gain as a an, as a top athlete in that sport in the world of our film. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, even in like it is an Olympic sport. It is like yeah. it is something that a certain percentage of people take crazy seriously, and for whatever reason, there is kind of that you know idea that certain sports are weird if people take it seriously. Yeah. How is it any more weird than curling or hockey or football yeah, or soccer? Like who's like, better at putting which object through which posts or right. all, like yeah. it's all made up. But the, the, the crazy thing is, I don't know if you caught it at the start of today's screening because we had a little sound issue right at the start. But there's a fact that we open our film with and that is that the shuttlecock is the fastest moving object in sport. Yeah, and this 493 is kilometers per hour, and it's true. That is the world record, and, and it is faster than a hockey puck. It's faster than a tennis ball. It's 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 the fastest moving object in sport for real. Yeah, we didn't make that one up. Which is crazy because when people think of you know like tennis, yeah, as, as an analogy, like they got nothing on badminton. If Andy Murray can serve at 105 miles per hour, big whoop. But and you know across distance, but badminton like. 400 kilometers per hour, which for my lovely American listeners is it's like, what, three, 300 miles per hour or something ridiculous? Yeah. Something like, crazy. I don't know, yeah. yeah. It's fast. And, and there's footage of this Guinness World Record out there, if you're, if you're curious. Mm-hmm. And it's incredible because it's this super slow motion footage. And then it's the moment that the shuttlecock makes the turn... It shoots out of the frame while the racket continues to move in slow motion. It almost really? looks like a composite image. It's so incredible. Yeah. And that, again, was like we were just Googling stuff about badminton, <laughs> looking for yeah. uh, you know, weird facts and stuff, and that ended up opening our film because we're like, yeah. holy crap, this actually is a badass sport, <laughs> even though people think it's not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. And badminton was the only sport I enjoyed uh, as a teenager and, you know, in the dregs of high school. Right. Um, so I had the fondness for badminton, like as a what I felt was like a, a kind of this, a sport for the losers, like for the people that didn't maybe weren't as athletic as, you know, the people who were playing team sports and things mm-hmm. like that. And I was in the badminton club as well. And when we got into the research, you know, that was that was part of what I already knew. And then when we, once we got into the research and realizing that like multiple Olympians teach badminton in Richmond. Really? Yeah. Like, Richmond is rife with incredible athletic talent, specifically in badminton. And Interesting. And, you know, the badminton courts are open until midnight because people yeah. are playing until midnight, you know, even just for fun. And there's this incredible, like, seriousness mm-hmm. about that sport 
even in at an amateur level, there's a seriousness of like love for mm-hmm. it. Yeah. And I thought, man, this is the best because we're we're making up a story in which there are these hardcore fans, but actually in reality there are hardcore fans. <laughs> yeah. So we're They've kind been of waiting just for a badminton <laughs> film, and yeah. we made it by accident for them. I mean, yeah. I was going to say that this is, in my humble opinion, the best badminton film ever <laughs> produced. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that. Thank you. Right. We, we think so too. Um, Until we make the feature. Until we make and the feature. And then that will be the best one. Fair. <laughs> the, the, the blessing and the curse of this the popularity of badminton for us was that who knew it would be so hard to find a freaking badminton court to shoot on? Really? Yeah. That was because one they of were our open biggest till midnight. challenges. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, people How, when, there when, and they midnight. were like, we can't close. We can't close. People need to play. And yeah, we were you like, want, you want two whole courts out of our 10? Oh, we couldn't geez. possibly. <laughs> How we'll dare be, you? We'll be swamped if we don't have those open for people. So we had to shoot all of our. Um, biggest badminton court stuff we shot in Richmond at a court and we convinced them to let us come in I think four hours before they opened mm-hmm. and then they asked them to open an hour late and then asked them at that point for us to be able to stay on two of the courts for a couple more hours while they're open so like people are playing badminton and we're in this corner trying to still film our last few scenes, MOS, of course, because we couldn't be doing anything with sound at that point, but that was fine. Mm-hmm. And it was total insanity. Like, they weren't even, you know how people kind of go like, ooh, they're making a movie. Mm-hmm. They didn't give a crap about what we were doing. They were there to play badminton. Yeah. Wow. That's what they cared about. It was amazing. Yeah. they. I mean, they were, they cared that we were in the way. I was going to say. But that <laughs> That's <was> true. <laughs> and they were like there waiting. I think it opened at 9 or 10 a.m., and th- there was like a line of little old dudes who just come to hit a couple shuttlecocks around. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds amazing. <laughs> <laughs> it does, and again, it is those types of communities that are not really shown in a lot of these other sports movies or whatever. And so mm-hmm. I find it interesting that you managed to find this sport in a fascinating way. And then it opened your eyes to the larger badminton arena which apparently is a huge deal mm-hmm. yeah oh yeah yeah it just doesn't get as much press perhaps as uh, some of the other well not, I not yet yeah <laughs> and i remember one place that we scouted we you know we we told them it was a badminton comedy and they were like okay but are you making fun of badminton Ooh. and we were like no the mm-hmm. badminton playing is actually very serious in the movie what we're making fun of is the character's obsession and her kind of twisted way of looking at winning and losing and her approach to fame. But like everybody who plays badminton plays it well, except for Winnie. <laughs> and I was me. Who I was going to say, <laughs> like there, there, were, uh, there were scenes in this movie. There's a training montage, as with any good sports movie. <laughs> there's a training montage in this film that is hilarious, but also like, Come on, Rona. Like, please tell me that there was not, <laughs> there, there was acting involved in the coordination and not being able to just walk and hit. There were takes where she hit a lot more of them. Okay, good. And I chose that take because I thought it was a lot funnier that she's <laughs> training right. to beat her rival who went to the Olympics mm-hmm. and she basically misses 10 in a row <laughs> in, in the course of one shot. Mm-hmm. And you're like, 
ooh, girl, like you're not gonna, you're not gonna make it. But it's but, fun because but it also montage. justifies. It also justifies your actions afterwards. Yeah. The right. other actions that you take to try to win yeah. in another way. It's mm-hmm. just fun as well because usually a montage like that is like the hopeful part of it. Oh, yeah. You're like, she's got this. She's determined. She's going to win. And then you're like, oh, <laughs> this girl is deluded. Yeah. yeah and that's, that's comedy to me. That's, yeah. that's mm-hmm. what... You know, when you're when you're playing for comedy, you're like you're trying to find the funniness. And so, yeah. You ha- you have to play against what, yeah, against What's what the, the obvious version of a training montage is. You have to go the other way and and try to find the fun there. Which awesome. is lucky for me because yeah, I had like two training sessions with our <laughs> badminton <gasps> consultant, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, turns out that is not enough to prepare. And uh, that is that's another good point to bring up is that when we when Crazy Eights announced that we were the top six. And so like, OK, a badminton comedy is being made. We literally were flooded with emails from people who were like, I play badminton. I love badminton. How can I help you? Yeah. Do wow. you need background? I'll play badminton in the background. I love badminton. I've got my own racket. <laughs> this is do how we racket? <laughs> this is how we essentially got a coach mm. who came and, and showed our actors like the right way to serve. Mm-hmm. And things just so that it would look professional. It would look like, oh, yeah, she does actually know how to play badminton at an Olympic level and things like that. But, like, we didn't go looking for a specialist. The specialist came to, came to us and yeah. was like, can I please be involved? I love badminton and I'm an actor and this would be amazing. And there's no other badminton movies that I've ever seen. You know, like, she mm-hmm. was just so excited. And the, the fun thing that's happened online as well is that we've got a couple of promotional images that were taken uh, on set or preparing for the film and there's uh, an Instagram account that's like badminton online and they've taken a number of our images oh and no. we posted them like just celebrating badminton and it's just so funny for me because they haven't seen the film right they don't realize how ridiculous them putting Winnie forward as this kind of oh she's this badass she's, badminton she's player. a badminton icon yeah wow but, but not right <laughs> like they posted, but they don't know they posted this week being like oh these girls look ready to pounce like go <laughs> I'm like well she's ready to pounce on something but it's, on dinner yeah well <laughs> that's not what i was gonna say but yeah right. <laughs> so this was a crazy eights film yes uh from 2018 yes so you guys had five days to shoot yep. right no? Three, oh, three days to shoot. Wow. And five days for post. So eight days in total. Yeah. And about one month of pre-production from them announcing yeah. you are one of the top six, you're one of the winners, mm-hmm. uh, to actually going to picture. So, yeah, it, it really lives up to its name. They call it Crazy It's for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and we were, I mean... We were just reminiscing about this, uh, you know, with some of our crew after our screening. Um, I was pretty ambitious with what I wanted to achieve with the film. And, and I, I mean, I'm, we kind of left it all on the screen. So it's quite obvious how many set changes and costume changes and, you know, setups we had to do because it was very comprehensive, the, the life that we wanted to show Winnie having, not just on the court, but off the court and the kind of backstory and everything. And so we were shooting, you know, we shot three days, but we shot three days with two cameras running and almost entirely the whole time, almost Jeez. shooting with two cameras almost the entire time. And but two units as well, not just two cameras. Yeah. So that's what I was going to say is, mm. is sometimes it was a B cam on the same scene and sometimes it was a unit, B unit. 
Hmm. And we would have two separate scenes being filled, filmed at the same time. And I would be in village and my two monitors would have these two different scenes and our ADs would be coordinating. Are you ready? Okay, we're ready right now. So we're going to go if you can lock it up. And then they would go and then we'd be like, okay, we're ready now. And then we'd shoot the other scene kind of, you know, kind of like a shuttlecock going back and forth across the (laughs) net, like just making it work because we had so much we wanted to achieve in the amount of time. And we're just, I think, I think, not just me, but the crew are proud of how much work we we um, did in that very limited amount of time of three days because it looks like a lot more. And of course it does because we were shooting <laughs> two units essentially yeah. most of the time. So we couldn't have made the film without that though, for sure. Awesome. Mm-hmm. And so this is kind of what you would say is maybe an advanced pilot for then the feature film that you would like to do. Yes. Yes, we we I don't think we knew that we wanted to make a feature until after we made the short. But once we made the short, it was quite obvious that like these characters, there's so much more we could say and do with these characters. And so Rona and I have started breaking out the, you know, the potential beats of a feature version of the story kind of what can we keep? What do we need to like blow, you know, into a bigger proportion to to last you know, for a 90-minute film instead of a 20-minute film, for example. Um, and where can we heighten things? And where can we create space for more characters, more other interesting, to bring other interesting characters in um, and set a framework that really, like, supports the mockumentary style okay. aspect of it? So that's the kind of, that, that's the work that we've been doing to try to build the feature version and what the, that version might look like. And it will be a different film, it but will. I think it will be really... It will take all the best pieces from this film and and bring them forward, you know. Yeah, I'm really excited about it. And the fact that I'm still excited about it, you know, a year on from making it and seeing it a bunch of times and talking about it, Mm -hmm. not only to work with this team, but to work with this story, I think speaks volumes. Absolutely. Excellent. And then where can people find the film on social media? are there ways for them to watch the film yet on streaming or are you guys kind of keeping it close to the close to the best? We're actually more at the beginning of our festival run okay. because we after Crazy Eights last year, we took some more time to tweak the film. Oh, right, right. You said um, that. Yeah. We did a little pickup shoot and we so we added a little bit of footage. Um, we rejigged some of the edit, and, you know, made some changes to you know, sound and music and things like that just to clean things that couldn't be done in five days of post with such mm-hmm. an ambitious, you know, sort of span of time that we're trying to show in the film. So um, we started, we kind of came out of the gate a little later than some of the other Crazy Eights films. Um, so we have another screening coming up in Vancouver at the Just for Laughs okay. Festival. And that's on February 17th. So that's the next time people in Vancouver could see it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it won't be online probably for at least another year until we're kind of finished our festival run. In the meantime, though, we have a Facebook page. We have an Instagram account. And our Facebook page, we've been releasing behind-the-scenes videos so that people awesome. can see a little bit about how we made the film and the crew and kind of the backstory of some of the things that we've talked about today, but also some other information about how it came to be. Yeah, I think our Instagram and Facebook are both Shuttlecock Film. And then just to be difficult, I believe our Twitter is Film Shuttlecock. And you will see like a flurry of pictures of our mascot, Birdie, um, I, in, I the noticed, next, yeah. in the next few days, I'm sure, because she's she's been a hit on the red carpet she's with everybody. Um, make, she's got to work people. on her faces. Like, she's got this <laughs> goofy smile and she refuses to uh, 
change it up. Need no some duck coaching. Need some sight. coaching. Yeah. This was a custom prop that we had made for the film, and then we. Thank you, I John think, and Karen. I think we we imagine that you know when we make the feature that you know. Maybe we'll have merchandise. and Yeah, everyone <laughs> yeah. can have their own birdie. And everybody can get their very own birdie yeah. awesome. someday. John and Karen will need to set themselves up a little sweatshop. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Uh, and then on social media, are you on there individually? And where can people follow your, your pursuits? For sure. Um, my, uh, all my handles are at Director Melanie. So that's Insta, Twitter, Facebook, everything. And um, yeah, I've got lots of other projects in in various states of development, and I kind of do a lot of different things. So I, I love comedy, but I also work on drama and and kind of supernatural, science fictiony kind of stuff as well. Some of that's in development right now. So uh, all of that would be on my my regular channels when I have active things to talk about. Fantastic, <laughs> Rona. And mine are I think my Twitter is at Rona R. My f- Instagram is at R M E R. It's my initials. Uh, and my Facebook is Rona Ray's Actor. Um, and yeah, I've got a bunch of stuff going on. Um, I do a lot of voice work as well. So, one of my questions we had a, a filmmaker panel here this morning, mm-hmm. and Zach was talking about how he has his sort of horror career and then his Disney career. and that was fascinating to me because I voice a lot of cartoons, so a lot of my fans are like kids or you mm-hmm. know people who like the show My Little Pony. Um, and then you know I'm tweeting out these pictures of the poster, which is basically my tits. And uh, right, you know it's a, it's an interesting balance to strike. So you get a little bit of everything when you follow me on social media. Excellent. Well, great. Well, I have been sitting down with Melanie Jones and Rona Rees from the film Shuttlecock. Thank you both so much. Thank Thank you you. very much for having us. Next in my studio, uh, in the middle of the (laughs) Van City Theater, uh, is Encia Van Heerden and Victoria Burkhardt. The director and writer is Encia, and the producer is Victoria of the film O.I. Welcome to the show, guys. Hi, thanks. Thanks for having us. Thank you. (laughs) So O.I. (laughs) opened the festival this year at the Vancouver Short Film Festival. Uh, and I have to hear about the conception of, of this film and where the idea came from and if you thought that this idea was going to have an effect on people. So um, the idea came from uh, the industry, the movie industry, and uh, how everyone thinks the idea is so original. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and uh, it just, it just it genuinely made me think about what what is an original idea and um and that there is no such thing they they literally can't be one uh well i haven't heard of one yet right I've, I've, I've well luckily if your film you know if, the, if it, there's any truth in your film hopefully you never hear an original <laughs> yeah, idea yeah. Yeah, because I'm the effect it might have is your head might explode <laughs> yeah, yeah. um so uh the yeah it, it's, it's it's kind of like i, I was trying to think of of anyone that could have had an original idea like thinking uh, like in terms of science and and everything else and it's just it's it's always been there's there's always been a few people that would influence some like say if you take einstein Mm -hmm. he was influenced by a bunch of people of course to get to where he got yeah like that's just how ideas work they don't they don't just come out of nowhere um where the um where the unique part of it comes in i think 
if you if you're making a movie and you try to be unique or something is is how you put the um, uh, where you take that idea that's where that's where you can have an original take on it maybe you know but even even that is influenced by a bunch of other stuff uh so i i i just think it's overrated and it's and it's, it's kind of the completely wrong terminology to go oh we're looking for original content there's no such <laughs> thing it's like you're looking for good content and mm. that's that's just a lot of work it's got nothing to do with like the idea is easy like getting the idea to be good is a lot of work hard work and that's what people should understand about uh if you want to make something good, just work really hard at it. <laughs> that, definitely, that definitely <laughs> makes sense. Yeah. And Victoria, on the producer side of things, when you first heard this concept, you know, this kind of play on you know, the industry that you guys are both a part of, what were your first thoughts and then how did it kind of change over the course of the project? Um, yeah, I think my first thoughts of OI was, like, I really just wanted to make a short film with Encia and... Um, yeah, the, the concept was kind of like, okay, this is interesting and, you know, taking it to that next level of like, okay, well, then you're going to have exploding heads and all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, my, ma my main thing as a producer was just to kind of make it all happen for Encia the way that he wanted it to happen. So, yeah, that was, that was kind of the best thing about the whole process for me. Uh, Victoria is also very... Uh She's got a good eye for things. Like she's a very good photographer too, and uh, she's she has a good eye for design. So she helped me, at which I I don't have. I'm I'm good with working with actors and mm. uh, thinking about story, all that kind of thing. But my design <laughs> is uh, <laughs> like I, I I need a lot of work on that. Um, or I just take Victoria along. Uh, we married, by the way, so um, it, that also helps. Mm -hmm. like we can just talk to each other. Yeah. And um, so Victoria helped me a lot with in terms of design, like saying, um, like help me push the design elements as far as we possibly could, um, w which I'm very grateful for. And um, then uh, Byron, who who was a DOP, did amazing work. Like I remember walking on set the first day and seeing the monitor and going, oh, no, I need to up my game. <laughs> this looks really good. This looks, like, way better than I thought it would look. What was the first shot that you guys did? Was it the bar scene? It was, was the bar it? scene. Okay. So uh, what's interesting about that is that we shot, in one day, all the dialogue, wow. all the whole bar scene, 14 pages Sheesh. in <laughs> one day at the bar. Yeah, it was crazy, but yeah, the actors were amazing. Um, Ben and Kat and uh, Toby, they kept their cool and they kept it going. And they, uh, like, we, have we never had to wait for them for anything. We mm. always, um, it was always just setting up camera and all that. Like, they were on it, uh, knew their stuff. Um, everyone was on it. Everyone worked really hard and was really focused. And that's the only way we could get that day done. It's like, I'm still, like, thinking back on it. I'm, I'm amazed that we, we got it done um, in time and... Yeah, under pressure too. Because I, mean, I definitely, I mean, I, I wonder about things like that because when you have these flashbacks, you know, in the film to these traumatic experiences, you know, that our main character goes through, yeah. you know, if he had to kind of draw on those scenes during that, so obviously 14 page, you know, read through of all of that getting filmed, since that was the only time that they were all together in that one scene, that definitely brings a different type of 
energy and chemistry yeah. knowing that the other stuff was going to be completely separate. Yeah. Uh, so the, the good thing is that, um, so I insisted on rehearsals when we were doing the casting process. Okay. And because um, uh, it's just insane to me that I hear of people who don't rehearse. I'm like, what are you doing? Why, why wouldn't you rehearse? You know? mm-hmm. So I insisted on rehearsals and um, the actors were, were like pretty cool with it too. And they, they like, tried to make as many happen as they could. Uh, and they're all busy, pretty busy people. And um, so the re- rehearsals helped a lot to, just to find the character like just run the lines, just kind of get used to each other. And we, so we were all on the same page by the time we walked in there and we all knew exactly what we wanted to do, where the character, so we didn't have to worry about any of that. All we had to worry about was blocking, mm-hmm. um, which, which uh, we mostly had an idea for anyway. And it's a bar, you know, there's only so many places you can right. go. So uh, it was, uh, but, but even then some cool stuff happened because we did the rehearsals. Like, the actors were free to just kind of do their own thing. They mm-hmm. didn't have to worry about, oh, what's my next line? Or, oh, would my character... Like, they knew their character. They knew everything. Because we all did the work beforehand. Um, so it, it led made, to a more just organic yeah. you know, experience with three people having a conversation at a bar. Yeah, exactly. And um, uh, Toby uh, couldn't make a lot of the rehearsals. But the awesome thing was he, did, he was a barman for years. He's also a stand-up comedian. And he's very comfortable in front of the camera. So he just he's like, well, I'll just do my bar thing. And then (laughs) he did it really well. (laughs) Like he he saved my ass on that. And uh, it was uh, it was pretty cool that, uh, you know, he he brought a lot of like he knew exactly what his role was, what he was meant Mm -hmm. to be there. Like a catalyst for for stuff. And he and he he did it perfectly. Like I'm I'm forever in his debt. Uh, well, awesome. in the, all, all the actors in this, I'm forever my dad because I worked hard, really hard on this, it's, and I'm, I'm forever grateful. <laughs> uh, and I definitely need to credit, you know, speaking of giving thanks, whoever had to mop up the practical effects that uh, that it looks like were used, um, yeah, definitely they had their job cut out for them because <laughs> it seems like at least watching it, I mean, so how much of this was practical versus non-practical? So um, it was uh, all the all the effects were practical uh first and then then we kind of did uh except for in the police station okay um that was uh just a pure visual effect uh but the effect with him where he was lying on the floor (laughs) Mm -hmm. that was all practical again and we tried to make it easy for for people so we we would have um like plastic down wherever we could and um so it wasn't too much of a cleanup uh but uh, it was it was definitely uh, the weird thing about the effects too is like they went too big at first. Really? And <laughs> I had to tone it down just because of. Wait, this was the toned down version that yeah, we yeah, saw. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> wow. yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah, I had to tone it down just because of of where kind of the the pressure came from. It's all internal. So okay. if you, I mean, it wouldn't happen because gotcha. it just there's just too many holes where all the pressure would go out. But if it did happen. It won't just go to the roof. It mm-hmm. will kind of just go and then fall off. Kind of, yeah, like your head would. Yeah. So uh, there was a lot of thought went into that. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, we we, uh, we had to tone it down. Cam, Cam is a, he's a big time um, special effects guy. Mm-hmm. And he, he just made like 
someone available for us and we could use all his gear. And yeah, it was awesome. Uh, they Squids uh, they just, are plenty. Yeah, yeah, they, <laughs> they, they, they just know their stuff inside out like, and, and could adjust very quickly to what we needed. Um, and then those, those practical effects were augmented with visual effects yeah. mm-hmm. in post-production. Yeah, by Image Engine. And uh, Image Engine helped us out a lot. And uh, they also did the, so in the, in the prison scene, there's a camera that pulls back through the bars Oh and right! So they did that, and it, it's so seamless. You you won't even you won't like if you're not looking for it, you won't be able to tell. Yeah. And uh, one of the other themes in the movie is repetition. <laughs> yeah. You know, we see we see our main character, you know, unfortunately uh, yeah, yeah. having to then go through this process over and over, yeah. and it seems like that tied in, you know, with the making of the film as well. You know, talking about how much rehearsal yeah. time you guys really went into it and. You know, again, on the, on the production side of things, Victoria, with repetition, whether it is from rehearsals or, you know, to the filmmaking itself, kind of what aspect of that, you know, do you want to relay the most to the crew and to the people involved? Yeah, so the good thing about with, with all of the repetition parts of um, the shooting of the film, it was great because everybody knew, okay, well, this is how we're going to do this. So, you know, we did it the one time and then we did it you know we continued to do those um shots so everyone knew okay well this is how we do it and yeah we just had a fantastic crew we were so lucky we just managed to every single crew member that was there wanted to be there and that's kind of the hardest thing when you're doing a short film and you don't have much money you're you really have to have people that want to be there because it's not really for the paycheck because there isn't really a paycheck. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we were just super lucky on, in, in that sense. And I think that also helped. Like having those um, creative elements like the repetition of p- particular shots because everyone f- then feels involved because they're like, okay, we know what we have to do for this and mm-hmm. we're going to do it this way and we just have to, we can get in and do our job and... Yeah, so that was the really neat thing about our crew, just all kind of pulling in and, and doing their thing. Excellent. Well, yeah, so that about kind of wraps it up. I did want to touch on, you know, one last thing again that you said that was, I thought that was brilliant, is, you know, when you're making all these pitches and people are saying that they want original content, just focus on making good content. Yeah. Uh, I just wanted to say one more thing. So the push-pull effect mm-hmm. that, that was in the movie, for anyone who wants to do it, uh, there's a video online where, the, where a guy shows you how to do it in post. So all you do oh. is you pull focus and you push the camera towards the guy but, or towards your character, but you don't zoom. You do the zoom and post. And that will save you a lot of money and trouble and you can just focus on performance. Look, look it up on, on YouTube. You'll find out it's super easy to do. If you ever need to do a push-pull effect, yeah, do it that way. Hot tip from yeah. Encia right yeah. there at the never, end. <laughs> never do the Zoom lens one because it, it will take forever. Fair enough. <laughs> and then where can people find more information about the film and you know a possible release schedule on social media? Uh, so OI, we have um, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And our um, hashtag is OI Short Film. And um, we're, we're, we'll be doing a few other festivals in the next month and um the the hope is that we'll release online probably in the next couple of months we, we kind of still have to figure out our release schedule uh, with that in terms of online um, but our kind of goal with this is basically for as many people to see the short as possible fantastic well thank you so much so i've been sitting down with Encia van heerden and victoria burkhardt from the film oh thank you guys so much thank, thank you, you very much <laughs>
So, A Snake Marked is a intense drama that I was able to watch in Program 1 mm -hmm. of the Vancouver Short Film Festival. So, Juan, you are the director. Adam, you are the star of this. So, whichever one of you wants to answer kind of where did this inspiration come from and talk about the film a little bit. I think that's a good one for you, Adam. Thank you. Um, well, this all started from me... I've always had a fascination with prison documentaries. Um, unfortunately, I've had some family that have been in prison, and we'll just leave it at that. But right. um, I, I've watched a lot of documentaries, and I, I saw a documentary with a prisoner that just seemed really interesting. And, and then a couple weeks later, I watched another one, and it was the same prisoner, but a different documentary. Really? Yeah, and I thought, like, I turned the TV on, and he was there. And I went, that's the guy from two weeks ago that I saw. So I did some digging and some research, and I found out where he was, and I wrote him a letter. And within a week, he emailed me back. And then we had a dialogue for about just over a year. Okay. Yeah. So we, we talked quite a bit. He sent me photos and showed me some of his artwork, and then it just kind of spawned into me writing. Yeah. Because so. that definitely was a big part of, of the film. Is the the character that we follow, you know, uses his art as this escape, you know, as this creative kind of methodology in a place where you are not afforded, you know, that much. And so, definitely for both of you, where do you see that kind of, you know, art as a method of getting through pain or suffering? How does that manifest for both of you? Mm. Very much so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean better medicine in many ways than, than creativity and because it, it's such an outlet and it's such a way to sort of uh, vent and, 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 and turn something that's bubbling up inside you into something that can affect other people and, um, and I think maybe subconsciously that's why we choose to be artists and because it, it, it also the art in itself can be a, a painful thing and right. uh, there's a lot of rejection involved and a lot of uh, people being critical of, of what you make and, or, or hating what you make and uh, or just not responding what you make and so you have to really it can breed a lot of pain in itself but then when when something works and and even the process in itself is, is such a rewarding thing that uh, at the end of the day um, it, it, it can be a very healing thing yeah I mean as as actors and creators I mean acting for me and I've I don't know if it is for you, but it's it's my it's therapy. It's right. It gives me um, not an excuse, but a reason to, you know, let my stuff up out and 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 deal with some things and reflect. So uh, yeah, it's. it's I, I, I was going to say another thing for me that's that's that I value greatly is legacy, mm. and um, and mm. I think that there's a beauty in 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 creating that that you're kind of leaving a piece of yourself on this planet because our time here is so limited and i, I and i feel like just being able to have left some kind of a mark and some kind of an impact that may last beyond your lifetime uh is there's 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 something really beautiful about that too well and speaking on kind of just art and and the sacrifices that that we make for for our art you know regardless of what medium that is uh, you said something in the Q&A yesterday that you guys each spent, was it two nights in a prison? 
yeah, in, exactly. in an abandoned prison. Oh, no, oh, okay. See, <laughs> with no power or running water. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that, that was his idea. With, with, <laughs> yeah, and and I think pe- some people told us that there were some. It, that it could be haunted and that uh, added. Duh. It is an abandoned <laughs> prison. Yeah. The pool was the scary thing. Oh, the that pool, pool was freaky. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it, you know, we did it for many reasons, one of which was a very practical reason of insurance and uh, somebody needed to be with the gear. It also saved us a lot of time with the loading in and loading out rather than having to get everything out of there um, between the two days that we were shooting there. It just, it was so much easier. Everything was, remained set up. And then from an artistic perspective, I think it, it really allowed us to sort of immerse ourselves in, in that space. And it's almost something that uh, just sinks into your pores somehow when you're, when you're there. And um, yeah, it just sort of put us in that, in that headspace, which w- I mean... I think, yeah, I think Juan nailed it. I think another, another thing was it really kind of served as a, a timeout almost. From Interesting. Because, I mean, we've known each other a long time. Like, we've been friends a long time. I really, I really found it grounded us mm-hmm. as well. Because we were doing, like, 13, 14-hour days. Yeah. Our crew was awesome. And this guy's got to be on. He knows, he knows all of his shots. He knows. And then I hear him on the phone in the cell talking to his wife and his kids. And it just... Oh, that is haunting. kind of <laughs> haunting, but also, like, kind of beautiful in a, a weird way. you got two guys in separate cells kind of talking to each other. And just, I don't know, it was kind of like a weird way to hang out. Yeah, we didn't share a cell. We, <laughs> yeah, we, we were in adjacent <laughs> cells. Um, but, uh, yeah, it the was, s- the second it was night. a wild experience. I mean, we, I made a movie in a, a sh- my first movie ever was shot in a casino. And I mm. slept on the craps table. Uh, <laughs> 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 it's, it's, it's like a recurring theme, I guess. Apparently. And, yeah. You don't I, need a trailer. I mean, yeah. as a filmmaker, there's, there's something that's so powerful about creating a very immersive experience for yourself. Absolutely. And, uh, I think the choice to, to, to sleep in the prison really sort of mm-hmm. uh, added something to the film. Definitely helped me. Yeah, I absolutely, mean, man. It's a small, small space. And it was cold. It was, yeah. We were, it was yeah, this was December in Vancouver. Yeah. So. Oh, jeez. Yeah, in no a heating. concrete prison. Yeah. No, no water, no power. And the second night, our, our set builder actually... Um, I guess you could say broke in. No, he didn't break it. He snuck in he somehow. He snuck in. He hopped two. <laughs> he hopped two fifteen-foot fences, and he scared the bejesus out of us. Like while we yeah. were sleeping. Okay. Like, See, well, th- those are not friends. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is an army buddy, so ah. you know the. Uh, I guess he had a. He has a, a bigger sense of humor about it than we do. So. Gotcha. And then, I mean, in the film, I mean, in this you know 15 minute you know short film the emotion that you guys were able to bring in the depth to these characters because we do not get mm-hmm. introduced to too many characters that we actually get involved in mm-hmm. but the way that you guys developed it and the shot selection i mean like you were saying earlier that Juan chose mm-hmm. when you just focus in just hard you know on adam's face and just kind of let us sit in that moment that was just that was incredibly powerful mm. oh thank, thank you. you yeah I think Juan Juan is definitely uh, an actor's director, mm. and us being friends and being having a director actor relationship, I I wasn't worried about it, but it 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 did concern me a, a little bit. But then once we started rolling, like he just took no prisoners on me, and it's the stillest I've ever been in my work. And mm. it took it took a bit to get there, but 
yeah. Like he, lo- I think he lost his voice on, oh, on one sure. of the days. Just and it, but it worked. It it, it connected. Well, and I, I want to also mention about Adam. Uh, one thing that I really appreciated in in getting to work with him was the level of commitment and mm. the guy shaved his head, bicked it, completely bald. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he, I and put he has a, a luscious, you know, good head you. of hair. Head of hair so right? You were worried it wasn't going to grow back. <laughs> <laughs> I think every man is afraid of that. Like, yeah. Yeah. as soon as the, the razor hits your scalp, you're like, your bo- my body is telling me that I no longer need to grow hair. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it did, so <laughs> go ahead. And then the other thing was I put him on, I actually put him on, I've never done this before, but mm. um, I put a, a pretty strict diet uh, f- for a month leading up. And you, how much weight did you lose? Almost 20 pounds. It was wow. It was paleo. It was a paleo diet, and I was, I was smoking a little bit too. I think that helped. That suppressed appetite suppressant. Yeah, but the paleo diet the first week was absolute. You know, it was impossible, but I I got through it. And oh yeah, I love the paleo diet. Yeah, I've done it myself. You, you've done it yourself. So, it um, you know we were all in on this, and uh, that's because I knew I was getting involved with, you know, a pro, mm-hmm. right? And then finding Howard. Mm. was a godsend right. uh, the, who plays the father in the film uh, I worked with him on a little short years ago and we were having a really hard time finding that actor the, the actor to play that character and then something popped up on my Facebook feed that Howard was in and then it jogged my memory I'm like oh that guy would be the perfect paw in our film and mm-hmm. um, and then we met with him and we didn't really have auditions for for our for the film and I rarely do because I know so many actors in this city so he, we offered him the part, and he was just brought so much to it. I mean, mm-hmm. he he was a treat to work with. Heartbreaking, almost in a way. You I, saw a lot, yeah. a lot of his past in in uh, in that film. So well, and that was what I, again, I, what I was just impressed with is that in this short amount of time, we were never comfortable. Mm-hmm. You know, we were always, at least for me, mm-hmm. I was always kind of trying to figure out what the relationship was, where that pain was coming from for each of them. Mm-hmm. And then when we finally kind of start to understand the bigger picture towards the end of the film, and it just hits you hard. <laughs> I think it's still, thank you, by the yeah. way. I think it's still, it hit me last night watching it on, mm. on the big screen. Was it the first time you had seen it? On a big screen. On a big screen, wow. yeah. Oh yeah, you did say world premiere. So yeah, world premiere, yeah. yeah. Wow. I mean, we've seen it, I mean, he's seen it more than me because he oh, edited yeah. it. But, <laughs> yeah. but uh, it, it, I get something new every time I watch it. And I, you know that uh, we're we're proud of it. So yeah, we got yeah. Christian. Yeah, Christian, our the who plays the young boy. He mm-hmm. was also uh, amazing in the film and really really great to work with. So it's and like mm-hmm. you say, there weren't very many characters, so there was a lot of uh, mm. weight that each each of the few characters that we had brought to it. And I think it yeah it worked really nicely. Even Marissa too, the, who plays your, Ma. Yeah, oh son. right. Yeah, yeah, my baby boy. I. I threw him in there for the flashbacks. Mm. Uh, one of my twin boys. So you kept him out of the prison, unlike the yeah. other young actor. You were like, get in this prison yeah, and yeah, film exactly. these scenes. Exactly. His yeah. mom was stoked, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She. Oh, they were game. Yeah. And then we didn't actually get everything that we needed to get. Uh, so we actually had to schedule an entire separate day of shooting months and months down the road. Mm. Oh, wow. And it actually, we, we kind of needed a different season also and because uh, di- it needed to have a different feel for the flashbacks. Right. And... Uh, so yeah, we ended up shooting like an entire day of flashback stuff. That was crazy because I, uh, here's me thinking, oh, yeah, we'll be like three, four, probably five hours tops. Like we shot 
that was like it was one, of one of our longest days. days. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Because we just kind of we went to the park and then the night stuff. We kind of just, you know. Yeah, a lot of guerrilla filmmaking yeah. at its which, finest, which is indie film. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. So then, what are the plans kind of next for a snake marked? Uh, do you have some plans for other distributorships so people can get a chance to see this? I think initially we really want, this is like I, you said, it's our world premiere. So we want to kind of try to ride the festival wave a little bit and, and try to get it out there and seen in the festivals. I really enjoy attending film festivals and, and it's a great place for a short to, to be seen. Mm-hmm. Um, and then eventually after we, we do that, it will, we'll have some kind of an online release and, uh, uh, that's kind of the, the immediate plan for it. We, we, yeah, we're just kind of waiting to hear back to, s- to see what the next steps are with it. Still, still we, pretty young for yeah, us. Yeah, okay. we, got, we got quite a bit of time. And, you know, I'm sure we'll do, we'll do another screening in Vancouver, possibly a private screening at some point. Yeah. Um, and then I'm slowly writing the feature of it nice. for it. So, you know, it's just—it's all timing and just, just sure. taking it in right now. But um, yeah, hopefully more festivals and just writing, and hopefully get this guy to direct the feature. <laughs> I could twist his arm. <laughs> right. The festival game is—is—it's cutthroat. Like it's really, really hard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, harder than I remember it being, because I made 14 short films. Wow. Uh, but <laughs> like I said, I this is—I took a long break before I made this one, and uh, I don't remember it being. As like as competitive, because it wasn't. There weren't as many people out there making films, yeah. and it's just it's and the caliber is just mm-hmm. getting higher and higher and higher. And that's the competition, great, you know? it is. It's, yeah. it, it is. It's something to celebrate. But at the same time, when you, it, it's a challenge once because you, you put so much of your soul into making the film. And it's Absolutely. like you want it's got you want it to be seen, right? And so, yeah. Th- I mean, getting our having our world premiere here in Vancouver, hometown premiere is. Uh, was really nice for us and mm-hmm. so hopefully it opens up some more more doors and some other cool festivals maybe seattle that would be amazing yeah. some more prison doors some more prison <laughs> doors sorry <laughs> i mean it was right there you, you kind of had to i had to uh yeah. and then is there social media for the film and if not kind of let people know where they can follow your individual work uh we have an instagram account that's very new um, I guess it's at Snake Marked. I know, at A, a Snake a Marked. Snark, snake Marked. Okay. Yep. And, and then uh, we're both on Instagram. Yeah, my, I'm on Instagram as my full name, Juan Readinger. And then I'm and at Adam Lola Actor, <laughs> kind of. Lola Actor. Lola Actor. <laughs> yeah. Get it right, man. You I'm should know your own handle. <laughs> right. I'm, yeah. <laughs> and then we're on IMDb. And uh, I should. You're right. I yeah. should get my I should get my handle down properly. <laughs> yeah. So very cool. Well, yeah. Well, I will put all of those links uh, in the show notes. So thank you so much. I've been sitting with Juan Reedinger and Adam Lolliker from the film A Snake Marked. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Really appreciate it. Sweet. No yeah. So I'm sitting down with one of the sponsors of the Vancouver Short Film Festival, David Abusafi. Hello. Welcome to the show. Honored to be here. I've always wondered. Now I know what the actual the face behind the uh, cool logo of John Reviewer is that I've seen at many genre fall festivals the last few years. Well, thank you. <laughs> uh, so speaking of genres, mm-hmm. so you sponsor uh, the you sponsored the After Dark screenings. Yes. Uh, here at the Vancouver Short Film One Festival. One of the sponsors. Yes. One of the sponsors. Yeah. Yes. Because you are a partner of Darkside Releasing and mm-hmm. the CEO slash producer 
of generativity. So kind That's of correct. specializing in the horror genre films. Yes, yeah. Dark Side releasing kind of our tagline is wild genre films. And we distribute, right now I've got a catalog of about 40 films. We're releasing three new ones in February. And we uh, were one of the sponsors of the After Dark Awards and, and some of the programs here, as well as with the, the festival that we put on in Vancouver, mm-hmm. the five years running the Vancouver Badass Film Festival is also one of the sponsors of the After Dark screenings that w- went on last night and the award that we'll give later today. That is fantastic. That is one of the things that I love about every time I come up to Vancouver is mm-hmm. all of the festivals support each other, you know, help each other out. That is awesome because it really shows the the film community and and the, all the ties that, that you guys have. Yeah, there's a real tight genre film community in Vancouver for, for sure. Uh, certainly a lot of professionals with kind of the Hollywood North industry, mm-hmm. but also especially within the uh, the horror and the avant-garde genre where people pitch in. Well, the indie, indie film genre, uh, speci- I guess cross-genres, in, indie filmmakers mm-hmm. doing their thing and everybody pitching in on other people's projects. And you get a real economy of scale where there you got companies like, like Whites that'll you can get equipment donated, you can get people who will volunteer their time, you'll get uh, highest level industry professionals. We've had the stunt team from Deadpool that volunteered on the weekend for our, oh our wow uh, uh, one of our one of our uh, <laughs> fan films last year, and so that level of expertise and uh, willingness to participate, and because uh, I think the next step, uh, rather than just being a service industry for Hollywood, a real homegrown industry of, of creators that can can develop material, and I think that's coming, and it's starting with the uh, the indie film community here doing that. That is fantastic, and now when it comes to you know not just sponsoring you know various film festivals mm-hmm. and you know the far as, as far as the projects you are involved in so you mm-hmm. mentioned you have a couple things coming out in yes. february so definitely let me know about those yes yes so we uh with, with generativity we, we finance and produce feature films uh one that came out recently is uh, amazon hotbox which mm-hmm. is a, uh, a, a a you know a, a wild genre film definitely it's uh uh you know comedic action uh, a kind of a woke uh, women in prison, tropical women in prison movie. Of course, I mean, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a lot of fun. As uh, you do. It'll be screening at Badass, and it's uh, it's available through through Dark Side releasing. And um, uh, the three films that were coming out in February, one is Lonely Hearts. It's kind of a, uh, a coming out on Valentine's Day because it's a, a gory uh, date made eviscerate is the tagline. So it's a... Uh, so what? <laughs> it's date? A ro- mate eviscerate that's correct that's correct. wow yes yes it'll, it'll kind of rip your heart it's coming out on valentine's day <laughs> well played yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then uh, a, a great finnish hillbilly horror movie that that we've acquired our sales and acquisition team led by vince d'amato um it, it's called cursa tuftland and that's coming out on february 16th and then a film that we lovingly made in fact, we shot scenes of it here in this very building. Hmm. Um, Odyssea della Morte, uh, Odyssey of Death, kind of Cronenberg uh, 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 Cosmopolis meets uh, Argento, and it's um, coming out February nineteenth. And it stars Tristan Risk, Lynn Lowry, famous B movie actress from the seventies. Um, a pretty good all-star cast, and it's kind of the third in um, the partner in Dark Side releasing director Vince D'Amato's. Neo Giallo trilogy. It's kind of the, the final one. Mm. It's primarily in black and white with splashes of color, which is usually blood, but sometimes the I was, I was going to, I was going yeah. to say, hmm, yeah. I wonder what those splashes of color are going to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So in, in some ways, it's like Schindler's List in the sense that it's mostly black and white, 
with splashes of color, but in, in no other way is it like Schindler's List. It's, it's a, <laughs> an erotic thriller, stylized. Uh, um, uh, I think Phil Mazzaro liked it as one of the top films that they reviewed last year, but maybe a matter of taste. Very stylized erotic thriller, and it's coming out on February 19th. Okay, fantastic. From Dark Side Releasing. <laughs> right. <laughs> now, when it comes to you know, the diverse mm-hmm. genres, both that you are producing and, and financing, mm-hmm. but also when you start to like really narrow it down, what are the genres, obviously, that really kind of speak to you? I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. I know horror is a big motivator and a yes. big yeah. part of your life, but yeah. what is it particularly about that genre that made you want to make this your life's work? That, that's that's a great question. Well, actually, actually my life's work, I'm, I'm a clinical psychologist. I've been doing that for 23 mm-hmm. years. Uh, I'm, I'm, although I'm doing le- a little bit less of it, or I should be doing less of it, but this week is busy. But <laughs> Right. Um, basically, uh, I, I get a lot of questions about that, and people actually give me a hard time about, oh, it's this is low art, this is uh, you know horror films, why do you make that? And I would actually argue that not only is it legitimate art, but because fear is maybe the most powerful motivator that, that people have, and so understanding how fear shapes us, how it effect, affects us personally, like in movies like Hereditary or politically, mm-hmm. movies like Get Out, uh, so I, I would say that uh, movies, art that gets at uh, understanding of uh, how fear impacts us are actually the most compelling art of all. So not only is it not less than, I would argue it's even more impactful. And that, that, so that's what gets me. So we've had films about, uh, or more explicitly about things like grief, like our film Ayla that we did uh, in 2017 that came out. Uh, and, and ones that are more... Um, well, the, the Evil in Us from 2016, which was um, kind of a conspiracy cabin in the woods chiller, more more political aspects than that one. So the idea is that yeah, fear is what leads to Donald Trump and Brexit and right and and uh, and fights within families. So understanding how fear shapes you, movies that'll do that are impactful. And I'll say it's it's not lesser art; it's more important art is my argument. And that and I'm glad you brought that up because mm-hmm. before we were. Recording, and I was asking how you wanted to be introduced. Mm-hmm. I was asking if you wanted me to put the doctor beforehand because, yeah. you know, <laughs> it yeah. is part of it is the other sure, part bet. of your life. You and and I find that fascinating mm-hmm. that you have this you know clinical psychology background and mm-hmm. you choose a genre or maybe it chose you. Yeah, I've always been a fan, even before my PhD, well before yeah, since yeah yeah because it yeah. just like like you said fear. If somebody is watching a movie about an Olympic swimmer mm-hmm. or something like that, yeah they might not ever know what that is like. But with fear, it is just so ingrained in us mm-hmm. on just a biological level. Very much that so. Regardless of what type of horror it is, whether it is a slasher or mm-hmm. creature feature or something, that underlying fear mm-hmm. everybody can relate to. So taking from like your clinical background to then in your yeah. filmmaking, what are the ways that you would say it has influenced you the most a little bit of understanding about uh, about human motivations and, and seeing that, <laughs> that fear like you're talking about anxiety disorders and motivations and day-to-day behavior how, how impactful that is and uh, that the art uh, you know s- some people some of my colleagues kind of criticized me actually had somebody give me a hard time about it just yesterday actually and um, said well the the art that we make that that great filmmakers and there's a director over here Noah who, who's making Th- it doesn't create the fear; it releases the fear. So it's the catharsis, mm. it's moving toward understanding. And so the art isn't making it. You're not, uh, uh, you know, everything is roses and, and and everything is fine without this art about it. In fact, the art is going to increase the understanding, or maybe even 
be a catharsis or a release for it. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, because it just those those ties, mm-hmm. you know, that in all aspects, whether it is that anxiety that some mm-hmm. people deal with on a daily level. Yeah, and there was two really neat films in the, in the uh, after hours block that kind of <laughs> in therapy sometimes you see people doing the uh, the sense memory things to calm themselves down during panic attacks, and they had two great shorts uh, that that. Uh, that referenced that, which I thought mm-hmm. was really interesting, kind of uh, connecting kind of uh, clinical world and, and horror film world. Yeah, explicitly. The, one of those was, a, I think it was just called Sense Memory. Yes, yes. And as somebody who did not know that style of coping mechanism, mm. that was fascinating to yeah. watch. No, it's a very common cognitive behavioral self-regulation technique for, for anxiety. And cognitive behavioral self-regulation technique. Yeah. I like how that just like off the dome. You just Yeah, like oh, <laughs> sorry. That's my, yeah, I get the <laughs> daily stuff at work, yeah. Uh, no way to calm people down when, uh, when you feel that the, um, you know, you're breathing fast, you're having an anxiety episode, the fear is kind of overtaken, you're kind of getting grounded, you're doing something uh, physically that calms the body, like slow, deep breathing, you're being anchored and grounded in things aside from what's driving the panic. So it's a, it's a really well-known technique. So I was impressed to, to see two films that dealt with that. Yeah. Now, when was the last time you were in a theater or a, a screening? Mm-hmm. And you saw a version of fear or a manifestation of fear on screen that maybe was unique to you. Well, her- Hereditary, I rewatched recently in theater. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that was almost kind of like a Rosemary's Baby family drama f- for the m- beginning part. And then it, well, I don't want to give it away. <laughs> oh, no, yeah. It, it, took, it took a hard left. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> when did you feel that? release how you're talking about people sometimes watch these films Mm -hmm. and as opposed to being kind of paralyzed by the fear that is their avenue of of release so i guess when did you go through it and it's i mean there's a visceral sometimes visceral excitement like a lot of horror fans love the blood and guts and gore and the jump scares and Mm -hmm. and take down that that journey and it it's the uh, the excitement and it's yeah i remember 16 taking the dates to the horror movies because if you get you know excited and that Mm -hmm. that was a good thing and um so there's that, that, that visceral level of excitement that's fun. Um, but, but sometimes, too, when you know, society is kind of consumed by fear and, or individually and, and you're facing a fear, um, you know, some movies that explicitly deal with whether phobias or deepest fears about, uh, I mean, all the, uh, well, more movie of the weeks about you know, missing children and something, and the big fear of parents. So you, you get the deepest fear and then you kind of exploit it a little bit and then, through that, hope the good ones, you get some some understanding about it, or or coping with it, or realization about some deeper truth about how fear is shaping something, like with the political issues and mm-hmm. in um, and Get Out, for example, racism, or well, even the very first Night of the Living Dead as well. Yeah, yeah. and it is something where we, at least it seems like mm-hmm. we are in this resurgence of of the horror genre on a, so. on a critically acclaimed yeah. level. Yes. What do you think that can be attributed to? Well, um, well, it, it's interesting. When we kind of started the Badass Film Festival, there was a, a, a sharp, and that was only six years ago, mm-hmm. uh, a fairly sharp distinction between like genre films, horror films, and mainstream. And that seems to be disappearing a little bit. I mean, even, even in this great, great festival, some of the uh, like original idea was, oh, that could have been in the After Dark one. That yeah. was fantastic. <laughs> uh, heads exploding. Great stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and well, mo- like Best Picture Oscar last year, uh, a monster movie, the Del Toro's Shape of Water. So the distinction between mainstream and genre, I think, is is changing. Yeah. And uh, a lot of uh, eleva- elevated horror movies, um, you know, l- like we talked about Hereditary and Get mm-hmm. Out, and many others as well. That 
uh, realizing that movies that access fear, and it really don't have to categorize like horror is not a means it's less than or a label that it's it's crappy. So you could deal with a, a darker, deeper theme, and whatever label you give it, uh, it, it's being seen more widely, or some of them are being seen more widely. Excellent. And then to kind of wrap up, mm-hmm. so we've mentioned the Vancouver Badass Film Festival. Yeah, yeah, end of March, March 29th, 30th, 31st, uh, here at Vifan City Theatre and at the Rio Theatre in Vancouver. Uh, filmmakers can, can submit um, their drawn, new, newer genre features, shorts, micro shorts, um, music videos, and uh, scripts until mid-February. Interesting. Yeah. Oh, until mid-February. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we, we pushed a little bit, and then we've got six weeks uh, at the end of March. Uh, the extended deadline is... is is uh, second week in February. That is fantastic. And then, yeah, where is the best place for people to get in contact with you either about the many projects you are involved mm. in, um, or is there kind of a is there a central place, or where would you recommend people find out where you are going to be? Yeah, yeah. So for for the Badass Film Festival, the the Badass website vbaff.com, or just look at, at Badass on on Film Freeway for for submitting stuff. Um, for the films that we're releasing, uh, darksidereleasing.com. And then for uh, inquiries around uh, you know, development, uh, generativity productions. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. Uh, I've been sitting with uh, David Abusafi, yeah. uh, who has, is a man of many hats. So uh, thank you for taking the time to sit down oh, with me. Oh, my pleasure. It's great to put a face to an interesting logo. <laughs> thank you. Jennifer Nicole Stang from the film The Whistler uh, is sitting with me right now. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So your film uh, was super creepy and made me feel uncomfortable. <laughs> Great. So <laughs> so it worked. Uh, tell me about your film. Um, so The Whistler is about uh, a teenager named Lindsay who falls asleep um, while babysitting her younger sister and wakes up to find her little sister gone. And it's kind of like um, the Pied Piper kind of idea and theme rather so our evil entity is this kind of puritan um uh sort of ghost from the past that kind of kidnaps these children and uh yeah we have a little twist at the end so i won't reveal Mm -hmm. that but that's that's basically what it's about yeah so it i mean because it kind of takes the as it is starting you know the older sister like i don't want to babysit but whatever you know type of angle but then as it progresses I mean, it has solid jump scares. Thank you. Which, which are great. <laughs> and you talked about that, you know, in the, in the Q&A. Yes. The ability to earn a jump scare is, I think, really important. And so, you know. Agreed. And that was kind of one of the, I, I would say, exercises in this uh, short. You know, I wanted to show that it's, it's a bit of a slow burn for a 10-minute short because I wanted to say, hey, you know, Let's try to make these scares work. And to make a scare, it's all about timing and anticipation. And so you only have 10 or so minutes to do that. So, you know, it's, it's kind of a challenge. And that was one of the really fun things to do, um, especially in post, because you're working with the music, trying to build, you know, you know that kind of almost subconscious rumble that you yeah. kind of feel rather than hear. And, you know, you're trying to create kind of a, a spooky atmosphere. And but you want to build it, right? So how do you do that? And it's all in the editing, I think. At least with this particular piece, you know, it was all in the editing, and you know, combined with the music. So that was our 
that was certainly our uh, goal there. And we watched a lot of feature films and thought, you know, with the best jump scares, thought, okay, how did they do that? You know, so it was a really fun exercise. Nice. And then especially being in, you know, kind of the, the horror genre, the horror block, you know, and things mm-hmm. like that. What would you say is one of the cliches in horror movies that is the hardest to get right outside of jump scares? Well, I think it's kind of, you know, maybe the creaking door is a cliche or, you know, um, I think little things like that, that uh, these days there are a lot of features that are coming out in the horror genre that are trying to do uh, a very different scare or trying to do different timing, like instead of the one, two, three kind of, you know, jump, it's more like one, two, jump or one, two, three, four, five, jump, jump, jump. You know, mm-hmm. I've noticed that in, you know, James Wan's films. Uh, he's very good at uh, playing with the musicality. I think it's all about the musicality. And, you know, sometimes it's great to, you can do something traditional or that's typically cliche. And if you give it a fresh kind of feel to it, or if you do something different with the musicality, it can work, you know. And I, th- I think we certainly did that with the Whistler in terms of, I think a few things were, we wanted to keep it kind of, we wanted to sort of uh, keep it kind of traditional and a throwback. So we used ghostly images in the shadow behind her. And, mm-hmm. you know, we use some kind of things that are perhaps cliche. Um, but that was kind of the, it was kind of an ode to, you know, older horror films with hopefully, hopefully a fresh feel. So that was our intention. And I think, I mean, you definitely touched on it is in any genre, you know, there are those cliches, but it is about how you twist it, how you you know, make it fit in your own film, you know, out of respect to that, as opposed to kind of reinventing the wheel, you know, really taking this being like, okay, the creaking door, you know, (laughs) we know what that is. How can we modify that? How can we, you know, twist it? That's what, you know, horror, why horror is so much fun Mm -hmm. because you get to play, you get to try different things. And that's what we had a really fun time doing that. I always find that fascinating. Whenever I interview people who have done horror films, they're like, we had so much fun. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> and you know, it's funny because I didn't start out uh, a horror buff at okay. all until I was um, acting in a particular pilot. And um, it was actually more of a thriller, but there were some horror elements to it. And I got to be dragged off. And, you know, mm. I saw the makeup department, all this blood was, you know, going flying everywhere. And what they had to do in order to create, you know, what they were making was really fascinating to me. And because I started out as a musician, um, for me, doing horror films it's all about the musicality and you know experimenting and 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 being as creative as you can and so I think then I started to become a real fan (laughs) and appreciate the films I was watching even more I think in the movie we see in the older sister reading this book you know about the whistler so is this actually based on anything or is that a book that you guys kind of created or modified unlike you know with Pied Piper obviously being an inspiration for sure. So uh, the Pied Piper was definitely the inspiration. And then I wrote the poem. Okay. Um, and uh, then we had our production designer actually worked with, I was looking at different artists to create the, um, the book, but nothing felt old enough. You mm. know, it felt more like a concept piece or it felt too modern. And we were actually coming up quite close to the shoot. I thought, well, we need to do something. I, I don't have anything. So the production designer um, did it herself and she did a really beautiful job. And it was the right feel that we were going for. Kind of an innocent, kind of 
I would say more 1800s kind of um, feel to it, kind of an innocent children's book. For sure. And we wanted to have that soft kind of feel to it. So I think she did a very good job in, in doing that for us. Very nice. Yeah. And then the last thing that I definitely want to give you kudos on, the cinematography and the drone footage and everything was gorgeous. Thank you. Well, I think the cinematography from day one, even when I was writing the script, I thought this has to look good. And that was, you know, uh, sort of a troublesome for my producer because she was trying to keep everything on a, you know, a low budget. Right. And even though it was self-funded, you know, I thought, nope, we need good lenses. We need to do this. We need a drone. We need these things. And so she was great in saving in other departments which was wonderful, but that was my one of my main goals because I've done a lot of indie pieces before and it was kind of like, you know, zero budget. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, I used to have a red epic package and I would go out and shoot different things, but, you know, never had proper lighting. Like, it was kind of all over the shop. And I thought, no, I want to do this properly and I want it to give it the right feel that I think the story kind of has. So I think day one, you know, I wanted that drone when I wrote the script um, with, you know, that shot above the water, I already imagined a drone, you know, there, mm. there were certain things and uh, that I kind of already envisioned writing the script. And um, then when I met Naeem, we sat down and talked about the vision and we were on the same page day one. Awesome. It was fantastic. So we were talking about all the different shots. We basically agreed and saw the same thing. So it was very easy to just execute it on the day, you know? It was a very sort of seamless and fluid process. And uh, yeah, a lot of the discussion was very like, oh, you see that too. Great. Well, okay, let's let's make this. Right. So it was very, <laughs> that always very makes it easy. Yeah, because that doesn't typically happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we both agreed on like, you know, the color palette and what we wanted to do, you know, with the, the color grade and post. So it was very easy. It was nice. very easy to work together. <laughs> and whose idea on the VFX side of things, the eyes? So um, that's also in the script. And, uh, you know, I wanted to, first of all, do VFX because with contacts, we had all those children in the forest. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, for me, I can't even put contacts in my eye. So I thought that's going to be very (laughs) tricky. It's also, we did speak with the makeup, our makeup artist, Chantal uh, Radcliffe, who was excellent, and she did all the special effects for the Whistler. She was uh, excellent, and who again was super creepy and made me feel uncomfortable. Yes. Oh, so, good. <laughs> so congratulations to Chantel. Yes, she was excellent. Also, lovely to work with, and she told us that well, maybe we'll do it in in post because it'll be more expensive. Um, you know, having all those kids have contacts. So mm-hmm. we thought, okay, just the Whistler gets contacts, and that's it. Um, only Nelson uh, got those. So. Um, Yeah, so we thought, well, and, you know, also I wanted when, you know, Lindsay turns around Mm -hmm. and the eyes kind of slowly become, you know, kind of, uh, she slowly becomes entranced. I wanted that, you know, you can't do that with contacts. Right. So we thought, oh, we might as well do it in VFX. So that was a decision there. And it was very easy to do that, which was great. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, so, yeah, the film is The Whistler. And can people find it online yet? What is kind of the release schedule for this? Or if you have one yet? We don't. Um, we're still pondering whether to, you know, just share it online or look at a VOD platform. And we're kind of still finishing our festival circuit run. Okay. Um, so 
perhaps March or April. Um, you can certainly follow uh, all our news and everything on the Whistler.movie. And I think on social media, we're on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Uh, all of those are at Whistler Movie. So, Excellent. yeah, we try to share often and, you know, update people often. And, uh, yeah, we've been having a really great run, which I feel quite lucky that we've had. So, yeah, it's been a great experience. And it is a proof of concept for our feature film. Okay. So, you know, we're working on that right now. So we'll see what happens. That is fantastic. And then if people wanted to follow, you know, you on social media to see which projects you are working on. What are your social media handles? Um, so on Facebook and Instagram, I'm at Jennifer Nicole Stang. And Twitter is at La Yeni. So it's L-A underscore Y-E-N-I. It's a little nickname. Okay. <laughs> so Jennifer Nicole Stang didn't quite fit. Fair enough. Yeah. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. Uh, thank I've you. I've been sitting with Jennifer Nicole Stang, the director of The Whistler. Thanks so much. Yeah. Brian Sapanzik uh, yes. from the film Compulsion. Yeah. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Uh, so your part, your film, Compulsion, was in the After Dark screening. Yeah. Uh, where it deserved to be <laughs> because yeah. it was terrifying. Good. That's good. So, I mean, it has to do with a what we are maybe led to believe a serial killer, we, even though we do not really see a lot of victims. When we see some of the imagery, it leads us to believe that he is a serial killer. <laughs> Yeah. So I guess, spoiler alert, is he a serial killer or is he just misunderstood? Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess a little bit of both. No, right. he's uh, yeah, serial killer. So it was, take it from the perspective of, you know, the classic slasher guy in the ski mask, but, you know, trying to do it with a little more reality. So it's mm-hmm. based like, you know, it's Silence of the Lambs kind of take on a, it's not a schlocky, you know, slasher. It's more like, oh, this is real life. And if this is happening, it's kind of terrifying mm-hmm. or try to try to get that anyways gotcha yeah <laughs> uh one of the rooms that we see in in this killer's house yeah is this creepy red room you yeah. know that is in a basement and just kind of tucked away and he has his tools of his trade as it were kind yeah. of laid out on on the table and this kind of you know what anybody who has kind of read about serial killers they have this kind of ritual or at least a lot of them Right. You know, dual, whether it is certain tools of the trade, certain ways. So when you were approaching this film, what was in your head as far as that ritual that your killer would have? Yeah, I just wanted to, I wanted a really cool scene. I wanted to t- take the viewer from this meek person who's just uh, everyday person walking and then take him into the house and then to see the transformation of what goes into this and what happens when they... You know, he puts on the gloves, he puts on the mask, you know, his, his posture changes, it mm-hmm. empowers him, whereas he might have been meek during the day, this is like really taking all that animalistic energy or whatever is pent up and it's, it really brings it out. So that was kind of like another thing, you know, just from this perspective, uh, this character is, you know, how he shuts it off because part of him knows it's wrong. As everyone does, right? You right. Know? But mm-hmm. if it's something that is a need or this urge that you have to fulfill, like how do you how do you separate that and how do you exist? So mm-hmm. now this was filmed almost. I mean, from what it seemed, almost entirely just dark, dreary nighttime. Yeah. <laughs> so, so talk about the challenges that 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 presents. <laughs> yeah, shooting in Vancouver in November is, <laughs> as you would know, in Seattle, the same mm-hmm. thing. It's. Uh, <laughs> not recommended, right. especially your exterior. It was tough. There were some really rainy nights. 
Um, of course, it adds so much on screen, but makes for some miserable nights for sure. But <laughs> that was definitely the challenges. And I'm never really ran into any issues running around with cameras downtown, thankfully. So, yeah, we lucked out quite a bit. I was like, that is, that is good, because yeah. that could definitely get weird. For sure. Uh, with some of the... Shall we say action that it, that is in your film? If yeah. certain people see this from a distance, not knowing what is happening, for sure, <laughs> yeah. that could get real awkward. <laughs> totally, yeah. And there were some things that I didn't realize till we were there. I was like, oh yeah, this this probably doesn't look good. <laughs> but the, the optics of this are probably not yeah. great for somebody walking down the street. <laughs> totally. Um, you know, luckily it was in more neighborhoods where people don't really care, and you can run with a camera. So, but I mean, yeah, that definitely. Thankfully. Yeah, <laughs> that is good. Yeah. Now, what I have always been interested in when, when I talk to horror film directors and, and actors and producers, after doing a project like this that is very intense and very visceral, especially with the way that you chose to film this, which mm -hmm. is just tight shots, intimate settings, the house folk claustrophobic. Yeah. So once you are wrapped and you finish the film, how do you decompress? How do you kind of take that and put out of your head for a little bit and get to a, a different place um it's interesting i guess because when you're I'm sure a lot of people say when you're in it um you're just trying to carry out that vision and i guess for me personally i i, I really like the dark stories i like dark depressing horror and realistic settings and that's kind of my jam mm -hmm. which is weird yeah, you know. blame it on my mom i guess <laughs> right. mom um, if she's, you are she's the best. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> she's the greatest. Um, it, it was it was more so just I would say from just the exhaustion of filmmaking itself as opposed to the story. Because okay. I'd lived with the story for such a long time, it didn't really affect me that way. It was a story that I wanted to get out for sure. Um, but that darkness again is something that I kind of thrive in. Um, oddly enough, I guess. Mm -hmm. So it, it, for me, it was more just the exhaustion of filmmaking and then the editing and like. The panic of oh did I did I make something that's worthwhile? <laughs> mm -hmm. But and yeah, you utilized a technique similar to you know the original Halloween, where right. he was the shape. Yeah, you know he did not really kind of become what we know until a little bit later. You know he was just kind of this this shape, this terrifying thing. Yeah. So when you were in that dark place in your head, you know working on on this film, did you ever think about? you know, naming him or kind of humanizing him that way because in the credits, it does not really give us anything and, you know. Yeah. Um, I thought it was more terrifying the less you knew about this person. It was someone that you could see that you could empathize, hopefully, mm -hmm. in a sense with him or you can see that... I, it, was, it was trying to get across again that just this could be... You could be walking past this person during the day would not notice and then mm -hmm. at night, these terrible, terrifying acts... Um, so I, I think just keeping it that anonymity to it is like, oh my God, that could be anybody or that could just happen anywhere. Mm -hmm. And I think that kind of invokes the terror and is the terrifying part of that. And of the, a basic slasher story, as schlocky right. as some of them can be, it's like, this is, <laughs> this is a guy who's going out there killing people. It's a serial killer, essentially. It kind of develops into this like, oh, what's the next kill going to be like super exciting. Mm -hmm. But let's take that and be more like, based in reality that's terrifying and yeah and that is something that i mean when i have talked to people who are big horror fans after the movie you know they talk about you know oh this kill was great or i like the way that this kill happened and everything almost in this in this odd 
distance from it, which I get yeah. it. Like it, it is fiction. It is a movie. Yep. But yeah, yours just felt so much more grounded, which I think again added to that aspect of uncomfortability to be like, okay, well, I know that I'm watching a movie. Yeah. But yeah, it really drew you into. It could be anybody. <laughs> <laughs> right. And and also, um, I really wanted to make the violence not celebrated and quite right. visceral. And somewhere you were like, oh, like, because that's, I think, should be. Mm-hmm. You know, we have enough films where it's like, it, there is fun. Like, granted, I'm, <laughs> I I enjoy watching those as well for, like, creative kills. I mean, from a filmmaking perspective, I love. But, of course. Um, you know, it, I think it's maybe more about time that it's like, let's approach it with that reality and we could, you know, take the genre and kind of a, not a new direction. I mean, I'm not going to try and convince anybody to slash is a new idea, but, right. you know, do something a little bit, you know, yeah, different, I suppose. Okay. I'm sure I'm not the first to ever do this, but. I mean, yeah, because there definitely, there is a moment in particular, kind of in the third act of this short film that is very visceral and very kind of violent and you you hung in there, you know, and, yeah. and we, we kind of hear it, and then we see it, and then we're just like, oh, no, this is happening. Yeah. This is happening right now. <laughs> right, and we, yeah, it's another one that was like, you have, you, you want that one moment to be effective, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, you know, Spielberg says with Jaws, with the shark, and all that stuff. Right. Um, and for this, it was, we hints, we show out, can you kind of see the, the, the after effects of some of the, his nights out, mm-hmm. and then we really wanted a big event where it's like, this is actually quite brutal and this is vicious and super violent and it's we want you to focus on it we don't want to cut away so you're like oh so again it's not celebrating it's like mm-hmm. right this is this is the violence it's, it's powerful <laughs> and it's yeah it's not maybe something we should be super desensitized to because it's it's supposed to be it's a terrible thing so yeah and uh, yeah i mean because there, there can be that disconnect if it is happening every 20 minutes or yeah in a short film happening every two minutes or three minutes just kind of wanton destruction yeah as opposed to the shadows and you know violence happening but then when we see the thing we see in the third act it hits you cool so well, that's that's good to yeah it's good to know i'm happy it's effective but i mean it, it, it goes to that classic thing you know even showing the after effects of a, a terrible scene where someone discovers someone you're like what did happen and you're like then you you start to kind of mm-hmm. think that i mean that's the most terrifying right so yeah Nice. And then one of my, my last questions is, you know, going back to kind of that ritual aspect of laying things out yeah. and, and his body changing and his, I'm sure, mental state changing. Yeah. As a filmmaker, when you approach these projects, what is your ritual? What would be laid out? Oh. How, how do you change into <laughs> filmmaker version? That's a cool question. Watch as much Kubrick as I can. Okay. Study the master. Um, yeah. I guess keep in mind your vision from just like what you really with the story make sure you know because it can go a lot of ways because people are like oh what if we do it this way how about this you know it'd be easier if we shot it this way just making sure you stick to your like original vision because that's that's where you'll surprise yourself the most i think um so yeah studying the greats tightening up that script <laughs> <laughs> and uh oh, delegate mm. i think that's when i'd, I'd well, it's something I'd probably do in the next one. I, I did way too much on this first one. Gotcha. And it's, I took a lot of years off my life. But um, it's just finding a lot of talented people. So just getting those resources together and just um, also getting, making sure you keep the excitement 
because you got to keep everybody excited about the project because yeah. most people work on it for free, long rainy nights. So you got to make sure it's like you got to keep up that positivity. Fantastic. Excellent. And then where can they find you on social media? Where can they find possibly the film or if it is not streaming yet? Kind of can they follow at least the account so that if it does become widely available, yeah. they can see it. For sure. It's still password protected because we're, we're doing uh, festivals still. Okay. Yep. So they, they like to keep that secrecy. Um, but uh, I have an Instagram, uh, Bryantologist is my, uh, my name. Um, that's where I do most of all my posting for films and whatever. And then on Facebook, uh, com it's Compulsion Horror. Okay. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. and that will be in the, the show notes below. Oh, perfect. So uh, thank you so much. Uh, I've been sitting with Brian Sapanzik nice. uh, of the film Compulsion. I nailed that. Totally uh, nailed it. <laughs> thank you. And I'm real happy. So This is yeah. great. Thanks for coming. This is amazing. Yeah. Jeremy Lutter and Marcy Waftel, the director and writer of Giltrude's Dwelling. Welcome to the show, guys. Yeah, thank you for thank having you. us. So, uh, Giltrude's Dwelling. Am I pronouncing that right? Giltrude? Yes, that's correct. Okay, I was like, as I saw it, I mean, I saw it multiple times, and I was like, they never say, I was like, I'm just going to go with Giltrude. No, that's perfect. <laughs> Excellent. So, Giltrude's Dwelling is a kind of time and space uh, travel adventure. Marcy, how about you explain it so that uh, you can say exactly kind of what it is? Yeah, um, so it's about a girl who lives in a magic traveling um, kind of Victorian style house. Um, it travels to a different sort of dimension every day and at night it goes into this black void. So when she's very young, her parents, who are kind of adventure junkies, venture out into the void and they never come back. And she spends the next 15 years waiting for them to come home. And instead of going out and like visiting all of these really cool, amazing worlds during the day, she sleeps through that. She stays up at night and waits for her mom and dad to come home. Um, and then, so 15 years later, she hears a knock on the door. And when she opens it, it's not mom and dad. And she's faced with um, kind of like a life or death dilemma. So Interesting. Yeah, I mean, it definitely was a very unique concept. And visual style is definitely unique as well. So when you were first writing this so this kind of time travel or not even time travel passage of time mm -hmm. you know that she is is waiting as you're writing this what were those things that you were kind of going through and that anticipation did you know that where you wanted to go from the beginning um with the story or with my life at the time <laughs> <laughs> both <laughs> um yeah the story is definitely a reflection of my headspace while I wrote it um, I kind of was doing a lot of traveling. I had, within months, I was laid off of my job, and shortly before that, I ended an engagement. So I was in a very in-between time in my life. Um, I took the opportunity to travel like all the way from Haida Gwaii to Prince George, where I grew up, um, all the way to Europe, which was amazing, but like it was doing weird things to my sense of home. Interesting. And I think that's where Giltrude came out of. And this realization that there's a point where you kind of have to commit to um, a certain calling or um, you have to do something with your life, basically. And for me, I realized that my passion was screenwriting. Um, and so I had the idea of the traveling house. And then the story of Giltrude came a bit later and was refined through um, 
a lot of drafts and a lot of like really awesome story consultation from writer friends and eventually it just um, came out right and was ready to pitch. Excellent. Yeah. Now, when you first saw this pitch, Jeremy, and you see this adventure with this house that is traveling through different dimensions, <laughs> what did you first think of it? And did you first start to really get an idea of how you wanted to frame it? Um, the first time I read the script, I was really drawn to Giltrude just on a story level because she was a girl who was stuck in the past, in my opinion. Like she had had this mm. tragic thing happen and she was unable to get over it for whatever reason. And I think I know a lot of people who deal with that and I certainly do. I have had things in my life that, you know, I have these beliefs, but they don't actually, like they, they stop you from doing things. Like I didn't travel until late in life because I had this belief I needed to wait it for the right time, but like you really don't. And I just that character really resonated with me about that choice of hers about like, do I want to like let these things in the past like dictate my life or should I go off and do something else? And on the production side of it, I was really drawn to it because I like making um, fantasy films, I guess, or at least films that aren't set in the real world. And all of my films have either had a monster or a robot. And I guess this one like has a traveling house, but <laughs> this right. idea of like building something that isn't quite you know, a movie is a good opportunity to make something that isn't real sometimes, as long as you're telling a real story that is really about things that happen. But the other part of it is you can do some cool things that you might not otherwise be able to see. And that was a huge challenge of mine or of ours, I guess, mm -hmm. to like make this world really work. And when it, when it comes to world building, I definitely want to hear about, so in the credits and the post credits, we see a lot of different drawings of possibly where the house has been where it will be going so where did those come from and did that kind of person whoever was creating those was it something that was done beforehand as kind of almost a not a screenplay but just something where to kind of go along with the narrative um they were actually drawn by lucas green um the head visual effect artist that worked on the film. Okay. And they were his concepts. We put them into the credits because they looked so good. Yeah. I mean, the house only needed to go to three worlds in the <laughs> script. And Lucas was so enthralled with this idea that he drew, like, I don't know, 20 worlds in his yeah. thing. And I was like, whoa, okay. But, like, and we picked, like, the the worlds that we wanted and all the extra ones look so good that I was like, okay, we need to like do something with all these other worlds that he had drawn and we put them in the credits because like I needed to show, I didn't want to be, or, you know, everyone needed to see them because they looked so cool. But yeah, that was part of the process of finding um, the worlds that quite looked right in the thing. But it was basically trying to make the worlds look appealing. Like none of them were supposed to be overly scary, but they're all supposed to be a thing that you might venture off into if you wanted to was kind of like what we were going for, or things that people strive towards. Like, is the first one, the house is on top of a mountain, which is like a goal that people, um, you know, adventurous people, not myself, but people who like <laughs> the mountain climb, it's certain, a, a, like a thing to reach. And um, it was sort of like, you know, the parents of that moment in their life had reached the zenith of all of their venturing, which was symbolized as the mountaintop at the beginning of the thing, but it was all supposed to be, you know, interesting places, if that answers your question. But yeah, those were totally concept things that we threw into the credits because I wanted to show them off. Because you wanted to make sure, I mean, with that hard work that, you know, he put into it with creating these, at least we got to see them, even though we did not see the house travel to these different places. Yeah. <laughs> so in your first draft, uh, did it only, so it only had the three from the beginning or did it, through the process, did you kind of whittle down a couple other ones? Oh, it was definitely a process taking such um, a huge world and bringing it down to a story that you could 
film on a Canadian short film budget. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, I'd say I, my, I must have started out with about seven casts to start. Like I had a whole family in there. Wow. <laughs> like generational family. Um, and then as I revised it, I realized that I didn't really need the others. And um, yeah, slowly whittled it down. I think originally the knock on the door um, and the person on the other side was a love interest. And then Jeremy floated the idea by me um, about kind of thinking outside that box. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, like, what if, um, like, it was a kid or, like, someone that you could build a relationship with that it didn't necessarily have to be romantic? Um, More of a protection style of, yeah, yeah, of relationship. Yeah, especially since she had lost her parents early on and then it kind of fed into... Um, like her kind of taking on that role as a protector and then wondering what she would do, like given her past experiences. So Jeremy, how you were talking about how when you first read it, it felt like somebody who could not escape their past or maybe get through their past. And I feel like that definitely resonated because after all these years, you know, 15 years, she is still waiting. She is still kind of waiting for that key to go in the door and for her parents just to walk in. So through that anticipation, we then are left to kind of wonder, has she ever really come to terms with what happened with her parents? Uh, No, I would say that this is a case of someone who has a big issue coming to terms with things in her past, for sure. Um, No, and it's kind of uh, adversely affecting the rest of her life in terms of not doing things or not taking risks and not living outside the small world that she knows or whatnot. What is something that both of you feel like through this process, whether it was something, a new thing that you learned or something that you kind of had to let go, you know, something that you kind of had to acknowledge, then move forward? Well, it was my first short that I produced, so I learned a lot (laughs) over the whole process. Um, In terms of having to let something go, I would say like every single draft, like um, there were so many revisions from the conception of the idea to um, pitching it to actually filming it and realizing um, kind of what you had to sacrifice in the story to bring it out on screen. And I think we were really lucky in that we didn't have to sacrifice a lot. Um, But yeah, every single revision, like you're a little sad to see certain things go. (laughs) Be it certain characters, it sounded like with the, (laughs) you know, certain (laughs) characters or certain locations, just kind of recognizing okay, this is our budget. Yeah, Uh, (laughs) yeah. In the end, though, I was really, really happy with how the film turned out. I mean, on the topic of, like, there's a lot of things I think I've had to let go in my life, but, like, one that certainly stands out, or at least one of them, is um, um, just the idea of, like, love, or, like, like, say you're in love with someone, and then, because people change over the course of your life, and then um, if both of you change and you're no longer the people that, like, you were before... Like at some point, you just need to let go of that and like move on. I that's a sad thing to say, but like there's a, like, but there's lots of other things. Like you could outgrow a job or outgrow a situation, and like if you need to be aware that you've outgrown these things, or like if you've had a traumatic thing happen and like it's going to dictate like if you yeah, if you've had a really bad thing happen in your life, like Giltrude, and like you need to see that there's a world outside of that and not like necessarily wait for that one thing to be wrong because. We don't always get the closure we want, I guess. I mm-hmm. mean, Giltrude's waiting for closure about the situation, but oftentimes in life, you'd never get it. 
So don't like wait around forever for it. Like, you know, there's closure in movies sometimes because there's clever people writing them. But in real <laughs> life, it's sometimes a little bit different than that. Yeah. Uh, life is complicated. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and one other thing I wanted to mention that as I was watching this film, the set design and the production design, you know, with this house was incredible. I mean, not just the exterior as far as where we get transported to, but the interior of the house itself. So definitely talk a little bit about kind of the process of putting together either, you know, this existing thing and working around it or that kind of set dressing that went into it. Oh, oh, sorry. Oh, um, I was just going to say that it was really interesting because our production designer actually had a connection to that house from when she was a child. And like we found the house and then we found the production designer separately. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. We clearly made like the right decision or there was some serendipity to that. Mm -hmm. when we caught her <laughs> in and she goes, oh, actually, I grew up in this house because my dad um, helped restore it. And like my jawling literally dropped. Her name is Rebecca. She's an amazing production designer. But. She like spent a th some time growing up in that house while they were like it's an old Victorian home in uh, New Westminster and um, our, our film is about transitions and most of the film takes place in a foyer which is a strange space because mm -hmm. it's like both inside and outside and we looked at a lot of different houses trying to find like the house that had the most interesting foyer and that one definitely um, was the the coolest foyer I think I'd ever seen because it had a really cool staircase mm -hmm. and like the space was viewable on different angles. There's and a um, grandfather or like this clock that was just incredible yeah. as well. Yeah. We brought Rebecca brought that in. That was not there was a grandfather clock in the house, but she found a cooler looking one. Yeah, yeah um, Rebecca found like did an amazing job at finding that clock. Um, yeah, it was the idea was to f we wanted it to look otherworldly. So it was mm -hmm. about finding a balance of things that we didn't quite see before. And you'd know like it was a hard thing to describe, but you know when you saw it. Like when you saw that clock, it was just a weird looking clock. Like, mm -hmm. but it needed to have that like weird. Every like bit of set design needed that bit of weirdness to it, just to give the world kind of an off kilter thing. Um, and it was like a period piece, but not because it like had a sci-fi element. So like I don't want to say the word steampunk. But it was a little steampunky. I wrote, the that, idea in, that, I wrote like, that in my notes when I yeah. was first watching it. Just because, I mean, when I was looking at the characters, just some of the like the leather work, you know, and things like that are very similar to my friends who are in the steampunk community. That was, you know, but then the story itself was not steampunk. Just some of those kind of production design elements of it. Yeah. And the other thing I really liked about it is the house looks very ornate and gorgeous. Mm -hmm. But if you think about it from a symbolic point of view, there's a lot of railings everywhere in the house, and it kind of feels like a prison. And, like, no one would think that, I think, while watching it. But, like, on the subtle level, there are bars, like, everywhere in that house. They're very ornate-looking bars. So I don't think that is only subconsciously maybe where your mind goes, but she is kind of trapped in the house. So I like that double meaning about, like, even though the house looks gorgeous, it is kind of like a prison for her about then. Interesting. Yeah, definitely. I mean, going back to, you know, this production designer who then did she see pictures of it first before she actually was there and let you guys know that she knew the house? Or is it just like the first day on <laughs> set? Then suddenly she was like, wait a minute. Uh, I know this house. <laughs> I, I think she told us when we um, were just uh, showing her pictures of the house. OK. Yeah. Because <laughs> that yeah, that would just be kind of a trip driving there on set <laughs> and then flashbacks. <laughs> yeah. We didn't quite understand the breadth of it until we did our location scout with her, and then she was describing like every like she had a lot of knowledge about the place. Yeah. Like I didn't quite understand the like yeah. her attachment to it, but like yeah, it's a really cool looking space. Yeah. And it's super haunted. Oh really? Yeah. Um, 
We have some video of a ghost, I think. Maybe. We were shooting some scenes, and there was someone walking around in the background of frame, like outside one of the windows. And I kept on asking, I was like, who is that that's like walking in the background of that frame? It's ruining these shots. And then we went outside, and there was no one there. And we had a guy posted outside, and he goes, no, there was no one out here. I was here the whole time. And I was like, okay. And Rebecca told us stories about how she thought the house was haunted <laughs> on the thing. Yeah. So Did she tell you that before we started filming? or well, on after? The <laughs> well, after we had picked the location on okay. our scout and all the way through filming. Oh. And then um, uh, for security reasons, um, some people needed to stay in the house overnight. Oh, and, no. And uh, those two people were us. <laughs> and then... Uh, uh, I didn't want to stay there alone. And then we had the house had a cat in it that would just hiss at things that weren't there. And it was kind of freaking us out. It would just sit there and like, I'm like, what are you hissing at? No, I'm never, never ask like, that like, because <laughs> then at some point the cat's head is just going to turn around like a, an owl and then tell you something and then it is going to make it worse. So it is better just to ignore it completely. <laughs> it was probably a friendly ghost though. We didn't have any like, well, that is good at least, you know, yeah. I mean, that definitely, that adds to the mystery, you know, of the film itself. And, well, and, and on that elements. level, I guess, you know, ghosts are stuck in the past and not wanting to move on to the next world. So mm -hmm. it's completely thematic to the story in every way. Ser serendipity <laughs> of this film on so many levels. <laughs> Excellent. And then where can people, are people going to be able to see the film soon? Or are you guys just kind of starting the festival run? This is actually our first um, film festival, a local premiere. Fantastic. And, um, our next film festival is going to be in Sonoma, California at um, the Sonoma Film Festival. And other than that, we've submitted to a bunch of places and we're waiting to hear back. It's very early for us in the thing. But like, yeah, nor it will probably end up online at some point, but like, it'll be a while from now. We'll probably do film festivals for over a year, okay. hopefully. <laughs> and then social media. Can people follow the film's kind of journey? So that way, if it, is in a, if it is showing in a film festival near them, where can they get that information? Uh, um, I think our Twitter is normally the most up-to-date. We have a Twitter and a Facebook. Um, so the Twitter is at Giltrude's Movie. Uh, so it's, yeah, at Giltrude's Movie. Um, and then we also have a Facebook. I believe the Facebook is the same. It is. It's uh, Giltrude's Movie. Consistency in branding, you see. I like and it. Our, our, uh, the production website is brokenmirrorfilms.com. And if you go brokenmirrorfilms slash Giltrude's Dwelling, you know. There's also a website there that points you to all those sort of things. Fantastic. And then uh, individual social media handles so people can follow your adventures through filmmaking if you want to share those. Um, so my Twitter, I'm a writer, so like I live in the Twitterverse. <laughs> right. Uh, my Twitter is at mar, M-A-R underscore J, uh, M-A-Y, mar underscore J May. Excellent. And my Twitter handle is just my name, all one word, all in lowercase, Jeremy Lutter, uh, L-U-T-T-E-R. Fantastic. So we have been talking about Giltrude's Dwelling, which, as you just heard, is starting its festival run. So definitely follow the social media handles, which will be in the description below. So I have been sitting here with director Jeremy Lutter and writer Marcy Waftel of Giltrude's Dwelling. Thank you both so much for taking the time. Thank you for having yeah, us. Thank you so much for having <laughs> us. Penta Mosley, the writer, director, actress, and wearer of a dozen other hats, as with most indie filmmakers, uh, this particular film is Pass the Salt. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So this film <laughs> is a 
political, politically driven comedy. It sure is. Uh, <laughs> so tell the listeners, kind of mm-hmm. in your own words, what your thought process was with mm-hmm. this film and why you feel like now was the time for this film to be made. Got it. First, I'm going to give credit to everyone who deserves the credit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I wrote this film with Michael Giampa. Uh, it's the, you know, the struck to start a film, you need the foundation, right? The house and the foundation is the script. And uh, I was supposed to be directed by Maya Arrow, the wonderful, talented, super talented Maya Arrow. Um, she got paid work, uh, you know. So Wait, whoa, what? I know. Indie, filmmaker, indie filmmakers can get paid? Right? Um, so, so obviously that's priority for all of us. Absolutely. But we had sat down, broke down the script together, you know, uh, put together the shot list and everything. And I wasn't confident enough to direct it by myself. So... Um, on the day, I really needed someone to have eyes on the camera because I was in front of the camera. So I had the lovely Haley Gray come and uh, help co-direct it for me. <laughs> Fantastic. Yes. So again, with the political commentary you mm-hmm. know that you are portraying in this film, go into a little bit about that and where that message came from. Absolutely. Well, the m- main message is love and acceptance. That's what I want to send out. And I guess that the image that everybody has basically of, of the Jewish and Muslim communities is that they are against each other, they hate each other, they fight with each other. That's the main image that everybody has. But really, we, we don't really. A lot of us, and I say us, I'm not Muslim or Jewish, but like a Middle Eastern. Mm-hmm. Um, people don't hate each other. It's the, the what is portrayed in the media. And, uh, you know, if there are some families that hate each other, it's, it's changing. The world is changing. Everybody's open. Um, the, the film, the way I, I approached it was, you know, um, uh, the adults, uh, basic story is, um, it's a Jewish female and a, a Muslim female mm-hmm. that want to get married. Ooh, ah, so Scandal. they, right. <laughs> so they have a little luncheon to tell their, their parents. And that's like a, a, a big, you know, coming out for them to their parents. and Because previously they had been roommates. They were, yes, quote-unquote roommates, mm-hmm. and the parents didn't know what the religion was. They had fake names and everything. And so when they t- came out and, you know, basically told the parents that, oh, no, this is really what her name is, Kalila, she's Muslim, and, you know, her name is Nava, she's Jewish, and the family is just burst out, starting to yell at each other, and, you know, uh, not profanities or anything, but just, you mm-hmm. know, d- d- disagreeing with each other, not liking each other, bringing their history into this. And what happens is... Is that while they're having this uh, big fat Greek wedding Middle Eastern style argument, uh, they see two kids, one from each side, one of the Muslim kids and one of the Jewish kids. They're just sitting there in peace playing with each other. You know, children have no judgment. They mm-hmm. don't judge with, they don't They don't care what your color of your skin is. They don't care what your religion is. They don't care what your age is. They don't care where you're from. They're just two children, two humans sitting there and playing with each other. And when the adults see this it makes them realize you know that you know what we're all humans and we all need Mm -hmm. to just connect each other and love each other and accept each other as we are you know uh you love what you love i love what i love why don't we try to have that love with each other kind of thing and Mm -hmm. so they kind of calm down and they you know they realize what the in the story what they're um uh, I want to say a mistake sort of was and they come together and try to be as accepting as they can in their own way. Mm-hmm. And it definitely, I mean, over this dinner table or lunch table, you know, as, <laughs> as, as it is. Lesbian luncheon, as we call it. You know, there comes those moments of frustration, of denial, of anger, of all of these things. 
you know, as people process kind of what is yes. going on, what they're seeing and not really understanding that is right in front of them. Yes, yes. You know, it's it's um, the girls tried to play a little Pictionary, try to come out you know to their parents mm-hmm. sending them signals like this look at the you know look at the star look at the all these little signals two rings two female signatures they just don't want to see it the parents don't want to see it it's right there in front of them the it's aforementioned so... salt shaker exactly so. <laughs> you know they have the pepper shaker from from uh you know uh the grandmother who passed away and you only use it for your wedding and the girl has the salt shaker from her bubby who you know she wants to use when she's getting you know married it's like a wedding present uh, from the the grandparents and mm-hmm. all the signs and signals are there and the parents chose to not see it or I guess deny it but um, finally the girls just came out and they had to spell it out for them <laughs> and they're like you know what we're gay we're getting married <laughs> deal with it <laughs> you know so that's what the the, the choice that they were uh, uh, they were given they're like basically accept us or we have to walk that's like mm-hmm. the harsh choice and you know they were trying to say you know is your love stronger for us or is your hate stronger for each other and wow love prevails is, yeah. is the what i wanted to put out there <laughs> and that is a fantastic message uh and then kind of the the final two-part question uh what has been the most awkward dinnertime conversation oh you've had and what has been a recent great dinnertime conversation you have had recent uh, awkward uh well the f- the there was one line in in the film uh, where where the uh, one of the mothers is like, what is this thing about eating carpet? <laughs> that literally happened in real life. Wow! And so somebody asked that, uh-huh. and I was like, oh, how do I even start? So I asked about, do you know the saying? Does the carpet match the drapes? Mm-hmm. You know, like hopefully I was hoping she would get that hint. <laughs> Trying to connect the dots. Did not. I just went past her head. She didn't get it. I was like, oh my god, this is gonna be awkward. How much into this do I get? So mm-hmm. I was like, you know what? This has to go in the script. And it did. <laughs> okay. I just put it in there. Art imitates life. Art yeah. imitates life. And another part was, which was probably hard to hear, was when they said, "You know what? We're gay. We're getting married." Um, the auntie, one of the aunties, is just like, "What? What do you mean? You have a perfectly good cousin. You know, you should get just married, married to your cousin." <laughs> that part, that was actually po- like. Uh, proposed to me uh, wow. from family They're like what you know you don't want to uh, marry your cousin lovely he's got money and uh, i'm like no no i'm okay it's <laughs> thanks like tw- you know, thanks it's, though you know it's this uh, 2018 i think i'm good <laughs> love my cousin to bits but not right. like that <laughs> okay. i don't know <laughs> so we have we have the awkward base that's the awkward base covered mm-hmm. what is something that recently was a really enjoyable experience kind of over the dinner table which we always see as this kind of community you know uh, place man enjoyable um i would say actually tonight i had dinner with mayumi yoshida she j- directed mm-hmm. the uh, tokyo lovers um it was me mayumi and julie uh, mm-hmm. she won an award tonight as well yeah um the three of us we just sat there and um shared the list of names of people that we trust that we've worked together mm-hmm. it's like this is the good experiences i've had with these people why don't you put this on your list and i was like okay this is the people that i've worked with that i had good experiences you know sharing sharing is caring so t- you know the, the it made me realize how supportive the vancouver film community is re-realize because i already knew that but you know, this film wouldn't have been made without the Vancouver community, but mm-hmm. I would say that's the beautiful experience of sharing is caring, and I had it over a dinner table tonight. 
Fantastic. <laughs> and then with Pass the Salt, uh, social media handles, where can people find out more information about this film and then hopefully its trajectory? Yes, uh, it's hashtag Pass Assault the film uh, or just hashtag Pass Assault. Uh, we have a Facebook page called uh, Pass Assault the movie. Uh, and I've been pitching it around, trying to get it into a uh, hopefully a sitcom series kind of in the same uh, along the lines of the, the Kim's Convenience or Moss mm -hmm. on the Prairie, you know, just to have something along those lines of a 30 minute like sitcom style comedy show. Um, that's the hope for it. So we'll see where it goes. I've been pitching it around, waiting for responses. Right. And keeping my fingers and toes crossed. <laughs> Excellent. And then you personally, where people find you on social media? Oh, you can find me uh, on Instagram uh, at sign Panta Mosley, P-A-N-T-A-M-O-S-L-E-H on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. It's all the same name. <laughs> Easy to find. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. I've been sitting down with Panta Mosley, the writer, director, and actress <laughs> of Past the Salt. Thank you so much. Thank you again for having me. The co-directors, the amazing women in film, the forces behind this event, welcoming back to the show for the third time, yeah. Marina Dix, and the second time, Zlatina Pasheva. Mm -hmm. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Uh, thank you for having me. This festival is incredible every year. Mm -hmm. And this year, you guys managed to sell out every program. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're both like we're really happy about it, but also incredibly stressed out by it. So we're incredibly thankful and happy. But we're also like, we oh, is this what it feels like? <laughs> we need a bigger venue. <laughs> we're going to need a bigger boat. We're going to need a bigger boat. <laughs> I mean, yeah, just like that, that is pretty incredible. And not mm -hmm. only were, was each program sold out, you guys had a wait list outside of just the amount of people wanting to come to this festival is incredible. And David said it in the first program when he, you know, had people stand up if they were filmmakers. And there's a good amount of filmmakers there, which is always incredible. But what was more impressive was he said, clap if this is your first time coming to the Vancouver Short Film Festival. And a ton of people this is their first time. That's, That's exciting. It's <laughs> encouraging as well that we're like, it, we've been around for nine years. This is our ninth mm -hmm. year. Um, and like the past four years, we've been really pushing the festival and trying to get our name out there, the word out there. And, um, and it's nice to see that it's finally paying off and that we're getting the people to see all the amazing projects that are made by our fellow peers in BC and, and it's really nice to see that people outside of the industry are coming to see them, which is almost impossible <laughs> right? <laughs> to, to get. So um, we're incredibly grateful to our team because they make everything happen. <laughs> yeah, particularly this year, we had an amazing social media team. Kent and Robin just mm -hmm. killed it. They mm -hmm. spread the word like I've never seen. So I think that that's also a testament to their work. The Gift game is strong. Yeah. Yeah, sure. I call them GIFs, but we don't have oh. to get into oh this boy. discussion. Uh -oh. <laughs> and your mic is cut yeah. off. <laughs> Oops. I know it's happen. an unpopular opinion. It's fine. With the added influence of, of social media, you know, and things like that that you guys are doing, as far as within the film industry, one of the amazing things is the support that you have from other film festivals, from other people within mm -hmm. the industry. That is another thing where every year when I come up here, I just am impressed by that. 
Yeah. Our community partners are really important to us. And Vancouver, the industry, we do a lot, but it's so small. And there's a lot of different organizations that play a part in it. And um, we kind of become like a close-knit family. So I think, yeah, just fostering those relationships and keep maintaining them is really important to us. Yeah, and this year we were able to... Um, really expand on that. Usually we're all like, oh yeah, I'll post your post if you post my post. And that's <laughs> right. like basically the extent of the relationship. But this year, um, we took it to another level and, and we all co-hosted an indie mixer back in October. And it was, again, sold out because we all came together and made it happen. Mm-hmm. And I think that's like a testament to this industry, especially in Vancouver, is that we all kind of band together and make incredible stuff happen. <laughs> we support one another. Yeah. I think that's really important. And that is the thing is like it it truly feels like support. Mm-hmm. You know, as opposed to like Maria said, sometimes it is like you like my stuff, I like your stuff and we retweet each other. Cool. Mm-hmm. And that is great and it definitely helps. But having that sense of community is where it really kind of changes into something different. It's so true. I don't think we would be here with this many people and um, the opportunities that we're able to offer to filmmakers as prizes. I don't think that would have been possible without the connections that we've made through this. And it's even, it comes down to like, oh, hey, I, I really need this. Like, do you know how to do this? And then like VAF or, or Crazy Eights will come in and be like, oh yeah, we can we can give you a door prize or we awesome. can we can like um, provide like support in this way. And then we're like, oh great, thank you guys so much because we were so lost. <laughs> and it's just- a, We needed you. We needed you. <laughs> and I, I think that that, goes both ways as well and so um yeah it's kind of a beautiful synergy mm-hmm. Ooh, very, oh, cor- very cor- word. corporate yeah. speak you know talk corporate to me yeah. oh, i love that marina <laughs> and then as far as the the films this year mm-hmm. so what are some of the kind of the bullet point numbers as far as do you guys know like how many submitted mm-hmm. how many played go for it 269 mm-hmm. submitted wow. so that's yeah. like 150 more than we've had in the uh, past we have 100 more 100 more than last Jeez. year yeah um, that was scary that was very scary <laughs> right? especially for, for the pre-screeners <laughs> we're like we were getting emails saying uh what do i do now <laughs> right. i don't have the time I don't know. Uh, but they managed to get through them oh, which was, was incredible. incredible yeah um and we are screening 39 films this year which is mm-hmm. uh nine more than last year mm-hmm. i believe or five more than last year. Five more. I five think. more. Five more. Yeah. Yeah. That is. Yeah. And we I have, mean, f- I think, 40% representation for female directors. Yep. Which is huge. Mm-hmm. Lots yeah. of diversity. We're looking at you, Sundance, because they <laughs> did the same thing this year. They have mm-hmm. 40% representation as well. well. So let's get it to 50, yeah. guys. <laughs> right. 50, 50. <laughs> well, and it is something that and I even talked about it in one of my posts, like, especially with the after dark mm-hmm. screening looking at the Q&A after of the directors involved, and at least with that one, that one I think was about 50-50. It was. Yeah. That is amazing by itself. Just not only have, you know, that many female directors, but especially in genre films. Mm-hmm. And in yeah. especially in a genre where, for whatever reason, people think, oh, girls don't like horror. <laughs> I was like, what, what girls? <laughs> I was like, what girls are you around? I was like, yeah. I know so many women who are into horror, one of which is sitting right here. (laughs) (laughs) And you even, I mean, you had a film this weekend as well. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. So definitely talk about that. Oh, yes. Camping trip. Um, Mm -hmm. 
I wrote it, and I just wanted to write something set in an RV, because I really <laughs> like RVs. Okay. So I wrote a story about a couple on an RV trip, and then things go awry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That they do, and it is, it is one of the rare films where you cannot really talk about it too much, because there are multiple twists and turns. Yes. Sometimes I get concerned for our working relationship because <laughs> of <laughs> no, her I ideas are so <laughs> amazingly disturbing. I tend to kill off the men in my films, so you have nothing to worry oh, about. Oh, that's true. I'm mm. the he- I'm the hero in the film. The men always die. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> so John, watch yourself. <laughs> yeah. No, you're fine. You're fine. Oh. I love you. <laughs> for now. For now. I was like, yeah, if the tone of your film speaks anything to it, like everything was fine. For a while, <laughs> <laughs> so he should have stayed off his phone. I'm just saying. Just saying. True. Yeah. True. Just pay attention. Yeah. yeah. You know, a little quality time. And I've also, would it kill you? <laughs> no. <laughs> wow. <laughs> the message so I took from that is never spend too much time out in the woods in an RV. Cause <laughs> well, that too. I mean, have you ever watched a horror movie? <laughs> yeah. True. I noticed most of the films in the After Dark were set in the forest. Mm-hmm. So yeah. don't go in the forest. I went <laughs> camping in the forest in December of last year, and I freaked out for about eight hours. Wasn't of it. that when you got engaged? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that was the highlight, though. For the for those listening, that was the best part of it. That was not the terrifying part of it. <laughs> yeah, it was terrifying, but then I got. Engaged. So it was okay. So it all worked out. It all worked out. Anyway, festival. Yeah. So with the festival kind of wrapping up, there is one more screening block. Yes. Uh, tonight, and then the post-show party, and then the after party. Yeah, we've got an after party this year. Mm-hmm. With that cool photo booth. Thank yeah. you to oh. Image Cube. Yeah, Image Cube is coming back again. So we're gonna have a really fun little photo booth with like funky props that we'll be posting we had a filmmaker photo shoot today carolina Uh, turek she's amazing incredible photographer and just like so supportive i've never had a professional photo taken before and i was like i don't know what i'm doing she's like you're great you're killing it i'm like thank you (laughs) uh we had an amazing filmmaker luncheon and um yeah it's been a pretty crazy festival i can't believe that we're already here and it's already almost program four but i can't believe that that is pretty crazy yeah it's been a great day though Mm -hmm. and a great day and a half i guess (laughs) fantastic so other than more representation when it comes to female directors which i mean again it keeps rising which Mm -hmm. is amazing and you guys are doing incredible work to foster that creative environment where you want to support each other you want to support these other women in film bring everybody up to a to a level where it is recognized Mm -hmm. so other than that looking forward to 2020 yeah what is a big goal for you um i think the big goal is to just like keep expanding the festival and just make sure that we don't stay stagnant and don't like rest on our laurels we want to keep pushing um the possibilities of this festival and where we can go and where we can take filmmakers so i think um over the next year 
we're going to look at how to expand that, how to build off of that. And I don't know what that looks like right now, but that's kind of exciting. Mm -hmm. So our board attends the festival with us and they're a huge, they're hugely uh, influential in that decision-making process. So um, there's going to be a lot of meetings (laughs) in um, March and April to see where we want to go and what we want to do. And next year is our 10th anniversary. Mm -hmm. So, we kind of have to go big or go home. So I'm, I'm just really looking forward to it. I think I'm going to pull out all the stops. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, any last words for either patrons of the film festival, for attendees, for filmmakers? Well, big thank you to everyone that helps us. Um, and also anyone listening, they should come to mm-hmm. the Vancouver Short Film Festival next, next year. year. We also just want to say thank you to John, the reviewer. Yes. Who's been like the best person ever. And so comes supportive. Every year and posts all of our stuff all the time. And, and make and you always like everything. Yes. <laughs> and awesome. your coverage is so great. Your so questions good. are always very poignant. And I think that's what all the filmmakers say. They <laughs> always say that they love being interviewed by you. So it's thank you. very true. And for all those listeners out there, this is John blushing. Very I, hard. Yeah, he's crying <laughs> right now. He's crying. He's weeping. <laughs> he's weeping. Just, thank you. Thank We're you drowning both. in uh, his tears. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, it, it truly is, you know, my pleasure. Vancouver Short Film Festival 2017 was my first film festival that I was covering internationally. And since then, you guys have just been incredible. So, I mean, it is through the Vancouver Short Film Festival that all of the doors in Vancouver have been open for me and I cannot thank you guys enough. So another year is is in the books. Yeah. Uh, it was it was incredible. Like I said, we still have one more program to go. But thank you both so much for, for everything that you are doing, not just for the festival, but for women in film in general, being the constant champion uh, champions that you are. Thank, Thank you. Thank you so much, John. Yeah, now we're crying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we're blushing. all drowning. <laughs> <laughs> well, then, until next year. Yes. Thank you. Until next year. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Once again, thank you so much to all of the guests who had a chance to sit down with me during this busy weekend and talk about their amazing projects. So, from the top again, Melanie Jones, Rona Rees, and Sia Van Heerden. Victoria Burkhardt, Adam Lalaker, Juan Reedinger, David Abusafi, Jennifer Nicole Stang, Brian Sapanzik, Jeremy Letter, Marcy Waftel, Panta Mosley, Marina Dix, and Zlatina Pacheva. Thank you so much. That was a whole list of names, and I think I nailed all of them. I really hope so. Uh, thank you for listening to this episode of the About to Interview podcast. Make sure to subscribe on your podcast platform that you are listening to this on. New episodes of About to Review are dropped every week and have film reviews of the current slate of movies. Make sure to like, rate, and review the podcast on your podcast platform of choice and follow along on social media at About to Review on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thank you to the Vancouver Short Film Festival for giving me once again the opportunity to cover this incredible festival and just welcoming me with open arms. It was amazing. So thank you to Little Z Productions as well for sponsoring this episode. I have been your host, that guy named John, and we will see you next time. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. 
to get ourselves a treat.